Not salsa, not flamenco, my brother. Do you know? Desi Nach? What's Desi Nach? बेल जैसे धूल उड़ा के सिंग उठा के तुम भी नाचो बाजे जम के ताल ढोल बेटा राजू उड़ के नाचो हीरो से भी तेज कोई कर सके जो बेद नाचो अस्तबल में घोड़े जैसे भाग डोर छोड़ नाचो बिट्टी जो तो रोट मोटा मिर्च खा के ऐसे नाचो हाँ जो छोड़े हाँ जो गोरे so he texted me and said you wanted to be drinking during this one, but unfortunately, it's 8:26 in the a.m. Yeah, I was like, there was a part of me that was like, man, uh, if it wasn't, if it was eight, if it was the p.m. and not the a.m., I would have gotten a couple brewskis or like a like a some sort of like vodka, uh, Red Bull sort of thing going on. I don't know, because like I feel like it's this is gonna be a long one. Does it feel like New Year's Eve to you? Like you're thinking about the previous year, what was accomplished, what wasn't. Dreams for the fall. Dreams for 2023. Oh, man. Yeah, a little bit. It's like a nice, this is like a, this is a good capstone. This is a good end of an era. Uh, Only 21 days late. We did well. Hello, and welcome to the award-winning podcast, The Academy (laughs) Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actress esteemed career i'm don saunderson i'm patrick Remian. welcome to the academy and welcome to our top 10 ish we'll see favorite <laughs> movies of 2023 we're a little late but hey apparently they're announcing the oscar noms this morning so perhaps there might be some corresponding stuff here that you can you know get some research on you know decide is it time to watch tar who knows yeah. maybe tar didn't make either of our lists we have set our lists to private on mm. letterboxd we have no idea where things are going to go on this episode but it's another countdown app we love these they go on too long i'm excited to hear your list patrick um it's very impressed with your 2022 new movie performance this you you caught most of them a oh, lot of man. I like, yeah, I think I watched 72 movies, which is crazy. That's like so many. Well, what's nuts too is like, you know, there are some that I really wish like I I didn't get to decision to leave. That's oh, no. like my big. I know it sucks. That's like my yeah. biggest. Uh, that's the biggest, the biggest uh, fail. I uh, it was one of those things where it was just the the last big movie and I didn't get it. But I got pretty much every other big film. It's it's crazy that you could watch 72 movies and still feel like you're missing like 20 of them. Like I didn't get to say no mayor. I didn't get to like there's like all these movies that I and part of it, too, is just because like they're only around in L.A. for so long and then they disappear. And then at that point, it's like you either have to like be really sneaky on the Internet or, you know, just waiting for the it's it sucks. It's it's hard to watch a lot of these films. I think um Bring up a few really good points there that I wanted to talk about. So I'm going to try and remember every one you made because you made good points. But uh, first one is how hard they are to watch and how short of time they're actually out. We're probably going to mention movies here that listeners, you know, around the country, you know, if you're in Texas or Florida or Oregon or what have you, and then international people, you know, I from what I understand, I don't believe the Fablemans has been released internationally yet. No. And, uh- this is a problem. I listened to this <laughs> podcast with Sam Mendes talking about his new movie, Empire of Light, which who knows if it ever came out. Like, 
Like, I didn't see it. Did you see it? <laughs> I think there were, like, like three showings at, like, the Regal Torrance yeah, at, like, at, 2 p.m. <laughs> yeah, and he was really compelling in this conversation. I looked it up, like, how could I see it? It's not even playing anywhere in Los Angeles. Fucking it's Los gone. Angeles. It's gone. And, but he was talking about, like, the differences in, like, release strategy and stuff like that. You know, his first movie was American Beauty, which was a huge hit, won a ton of Oscars, all that kind of stuff. And he mentioned that it played in one cinema in Los Angeles for a year, an entire year, Man. An, uh, an adult drama. And that's gone, gone. Like, and it, it's, a, it's a shame because like they should be released. Like you were talking kind of about your parents and their, yeah, the menu and stuff like that and the menu or whatever. It's like, you should just put tar out there. And just see what people say. Like it might, some of these aren't going to land. They're just not. That's mm-hmm. that's always been the case through hundreds of years of cinema. But American Beauty like made like three hundred million dollars. American Hustle, another American picture, made like three hundred million dollars. And that wasn't that long ago. That, that wasn't was like, that long ago. Yeah, it's I guess I guess like it is scary if the film industry's changed that much that not even like an American Hustle can like. You know, it literally, literally happened the exact to the exact same filmmaker with the exact same star. Yeah. In October of 2022 with Amsterdam. I mean, nobody gave a shit. Just disappeared. Yeah. They weren't even given a chance to give a shit. That might be the bigger issue. I think that's yeah. I think that's part of it. I think it's just like these movies aren't given the chance. They're not. Um. It's so much harder, I think, to advertise for these movies. I feel like when I was they have like, no yeah. idea. They have no idea how no. to sell these movies at all. Like, I mean, I think I talked to Jen about it, and both of us were like, I don't think, I think the magic of cinema is like number 10 on the list of themes for the Fablements in, yes. in, in all reality. Yeah, it is like very much like the Fablements. If you go into that thinking, you're going to see fucking. Cinema parody, which is a great movie, don't get me yeah. wrong, but it's it's not it's not it's not that it's not like about like the magic. Of, even though, don't get me wrong, the magic of movies permeates it, and there's some moments that are very movie magical. It's there's so but, much but more he, going but he, on. But he could want to be an architect. He could yeah. want to be a. He could want to be. He could want to be first violin in Tar's orchestra. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like a it's a family melodrama. It's like there's a lot like that's yeah, kind of what's at the yeah. fucking forefront. The life aging relationship with parents, relationship between parents, how you see them. I mean, certainly the idea of how camera can capture things mm-hmm. is there, but it isn't so much about like your and I's experience going to the movies and how that's a beautiful thing. It's more about yeah. how like perhaps the third eye of the lens can be a distancing tool toward heavy emotional situations. Yeah. For instance, we'll get to it. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe the family didn't make either of our list. Who's to say? Who's to say? But, Maybe, like, both of us have Sonic the Hedgehog 2 as number yeah, one. But, which was a huge hit. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes like, But you can sell that. Like, there's basically everyone who gives a shit about Sonic the Hedgehog is my age and has kids. Or a little bit younger, but all grew up playing the game Sonic the Hedgehog. It's just a nostalgia trip, and they want to like convince their kids 
to join them on that nostalgia trip. Yeah, and, uh, with like some ironic jokes that make us like, oh, I know what they're talking about. Uh, yeah, and look, don't get me wrong. Like, there's nothing I'll wrong that, with it. The, yeah, I, I'll, like, I'll eat that the, slop. I'll eat that slop. The guys like, who wrote Sonic are like pillars of the horror community here in Los Angeles, and are, by all accounts, cool guys. And I, yeah. that's cool that they made it. Yeah. Oh, dude. Very cool that they made it. And it's like, yeah, that movie is a lot of it's not in my top 10. I'm just making sure you guys know that. But it's a lot of fun. Oh, like, good. Sorry, guys. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, sorry man. for all you Sonic, sorry, Sonic you, kids. Sonic kids. But uh, but but it is like that's like the other thing that's like really grim about cinema right now is it really does feel like. Like you really have to be tied. That's what draws people in now is purely that nostalgic pull. Yeah. And how do you get out of that? How do you get people to see shit that isn't based think, on other shit? <laughs> well, I think too, it's and James Cameron was talking about it. Like it isn't so much like anything other than like there is kind of a joy of letting go and putting yourself in someone else's hands for two to three hours without your phone, without any of these distractions, and just kind of like almost all the movies on my list i walked out of almost like in this like dream state of like i didn't think of anything i did not think of the world i did not think of like it like the issues around our house or whatever like i'll never forget like the second time i saw avatar i saw with jesse and just like turning around to him when that weekend song came on and pulling off our glasses and just the grins on our faces like it was and that is like it isn't so much nostalgia for feeling like you're 13 you can still feel like you're 13 just let go yeah it's nice to be able to it's great yeah being able to just like yeah turn off your mind yeah and like let and then give yourself to something give yourself completely to it it's like such a good feeling yeah, I think it's hard in this day and age because so many people have like cinema sins brain. They're yeah. so just like they go in there and they're just like looking to needle and pick at every little thing. And it's like, dude, you got to yeah. just that's but, a, but, that's a horrible but, way to go through you, art. You know what that's for when you've gone with your friends to coffee or dinner or the bar afterwards and then you spend an hour like how fun was it? When we went and saw Armageddon time, and then we went and got burgers afterwards. That it was a great was... afternoon. It was a great yeah. afternoon. Great <laughs> movie, great afternoon. Yeah, and we chatted about, we thought about Armageddon time for like an hour. And it was great. And what an experience that is. Like, And I think that hopefully, like, that could be found again. Hopefully, like, that was, like, the best part. Like, I was, you know, reminiscing, like, when I went and saw Black Swan the weekend it came out i spent Mm. two hours at a coffee shop afterwards across the street with my friend we're ranting about it just going nuts and i was on like a fourth date (laughs) (laughs) at the time too and she kind of just sat there like like an alien watching the two of us like (laughs) scream at each other probably wasn't like the like most polite thing in the world but at the same time like what a neat like it was a, still it was like this human connection moment it's, that was so like neat. It's really uh, nice to be able to talk to someone about art. Yeah, yeah, it and really not is. Screaming to the void or trying to come up with something clever on Twitter or something contrarian on Twitter. Leave the contrarian takes to the Armand Whites and Richard Brodies of the world who are paid for this. Yeah. I think that that actually brings up another part. Patrick and I are not paid a dime for anything we do 
We get not at all. Nothing, we get nothing for free. Um, <laughs> so there's a good reason why we have not seen everything. Yeah, uh, we are. We have lives, and we are not paid for this. This is not our job. We're just trying our best. You have a <laughs> child. You have. And yeah. We had weird health things all year. We tried our best. Yeah. Although I gotta say, like, that was nothing I want to bring up. Like, we, I worked super. Like we mentioned it on our like Discovery Zip. I was like all about like repertory and old movies in 2022. So mm-hmm. I did miss a lot of the new releases. There is like a joy though, like going back to that Armageddon time screening we went to mm-hmm. going out with your buddies or your wife on a date or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or whoever on a date and seeing a new movie mm-hmm. uh, and going out to like a bar afterwards or whatever and just chatting about it like you can talk all you want about like the samurai or the china syndrome or something like that at a bar afterwards and there's plenty to talk about but like the new experience kind of washing over you of like oh man we gotta go like talk about cry macho after this you know being able to like see like yeah no like and you know i think about like i saw like the green knight with like cozy and uh, nick last year and being able to like talk to them about that experience afterwards or this year i saw triangle of sadness with adam and adam had like no idea what he was getting into and to like go take him to that movie and then like because the grove is such an insane theater that was like a packed audience yeah fucking ruled like what a great like yeah like yeah that's like the beautiful thing about seeing movies in la is there's a lot of movies that typically don't have packed audiences in other venues that will have them here yeah you get these like wild moments like when we saw phantom thread and there was like all like there were recognizable like character actors and stuff like that it was opening weekend at the arc light in the 70 millimeter film print they're handing out programs so it was very cool and there was like recognizable people in the crowd and everything everybody was like oh it's Hush Tones, the new Paul Thomas Anderson movie. And everyone's taking it like, oh, this is going to be so heavy. And then Jen just dying laughing the entire movie. <laughs> and kind of hipping me to even me, like high flute and art movie guy. Oh, he made something funny. This is yeah. actually like a really twisted romantic comedy. Yeah, this is a macabre <laughs> comedy. Yeah. yeah and. Like, how cool that he did that. And I'm convinced, too, that's my big prediction, that, like, five years from now, Tar will be looked at in the same vein Mm. as, like, Phantom Thread or Goodfellas, where you think it's one thing, but you're like, or even The Sopranos, where you think it's one thing, but you're like, oh, he's, like, kind of, like, taking a bite out of all this, like, elitist culture and stuff like that. And this is actually pretty, like, in the way you kind of laugh at, like, Kubrick movie. And, oh, for sure. Know, like how Barry Lyndon's super funny if you like yeah. get on the right wavelength with it. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's definitely like, yeah, there is a hundred percent like a comedic element to tar. Like, if you can't see that, you need to like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't go into tar just thinking it is what it is on its at face value. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Like, and those are the best movies, generally speaking, yes. too. Like that work on those like. Mo- like, you're going to want to rewatch those movies because it's like, oh, wait a second, is this actually funny? Wait a second, is this happening here? Like, all of these kind of like that gives it this like eternal quality. Yeah. You can punt, it's a, the pontificators, like these mm-hmm. movies that you can ruminate about. And, you know, I think that's so much better than just, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. Yeah, and like, and again, that kind of conversation afterwards aspect, like, you know, Jen and I watched Triangle of Sadness at home. 
and we had a lot to talk about. Yeah, it's, it was see, the beauty of that movie is yeah, there's a bunch of interpretations you can mm-hmm. make, and there's and that is like a. As much as I do also like, uh, sometimes I do like my art a little cut and clear, but I also really enjoy something that's really open-ended, something that's very almost like, you know, you can even go further than uh, Tar, something like Lost Highway, where it's almost just all vibes, and yeah. you can just be like, what does this mean? What does this one portion, because you're never going to figure out what Lost Highway means. Maybe no. the point of it is that there's going to have to have a meeting, you know? We, we watched, um, for Jen's show... Um, last week they covered Zawalski's movie Possession, and when it was over, you know that's a movie that's like, hey man, you could either just say it's like bonkers claptrap, like David Lynch, you could say it's bonkers claptrap, yeah. or you could say like, what was it? And when I watched it, I was like, oh, I think this is about drug addiction, and Jen was like, oh, I think this is about this, and we kind of like got a chance to talk about it afterwards. And from what I understand, her show, her two co-hosts amy and kyle we know them we've had them on our show they had different interpretations that's good stuff and that's yeah that's and that's like being able to like have these conversations uh being able to have these different interpretations that's yeah and and, and this goes back to your previous point of like giving yourself to the movie yeah like yeah it's just like you know have, have, have faith in the filmmaker yeah and i think because there's the internet and social media have allowed people to really like become their own islands, become their own individuated islands. Like they are the stars of their own movie and their own narrative. They create their narrative through their social movie. Did you give yourself up so completely to someone else's narrative in where you are not involved really? And you're mm. just an observer. I think it's like a difficult thing in the way yeah. people have been trained. But it like boy, it's rich. It feels good. Yeah. Like, and oh. I think and I think like the thing too, one thing I've learned like since doing this podcast, I think like my greatest one of the coolest things I've taken from this experience. I think I've taken this a little bit from you. You could say that I'm wrong if I'm uh, wrong, mm-hmm. but like before this, I used to sometimes view movies as like logic problems or something like that or like you know, you go in and there's like an expectation. There has to be like a story. There has to be a happy ending, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Or not even that necessarily. It wasn't like I had to have a happy ending, but there had there had to be like some reality. And uh, as I've gone on and watched all these movies, I've really become someone who's like, doesn't have to make sense. Vibes are good. Like a movie can just be like evoke something or provide like a mood and it can be dreamlike. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. That's good. And sometimes that's great. Like sometimes that's gonna be like a really like I don't know. Like it's like, yeah. I think it it is like a, you do a disservice to art by viewing it through such a clinical lens. Yeah, that I think. Um, you know, one of my goals for the new year, because I've gotten so interested in like, like you know, watch a Hong Kang Zoo. You're talking about that puzzle. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to like, oh, what are they doing here? What are the filmic techniques? And for me, almost every movie on my list was about complete just feeling, <laughs> you know, and giving in to like, how does it, you know, I'm just here. I'm just a part. I want to like ex- embrace, like I'm losing, like, I can't believe they made that camera move or like I can study camera moves later. I want that first screening 
to just be about pure like intake. Mm. Like, you know, when I watch the fit, I can't actually remember like too many of like, I know that like the techniques were awesome in the Fablemans, mm -hmm. but it was more like <laughs> taking it this like, for me at least, deeply emotional story. And Yeah. when it was over, like, I haven't really thought too much about, I know that, like, the scene where he, like, is putting together the edit on the campground and kind Mm -hmm. of piecing together what's really going on in his family's life is a tour de force of editing and cinematic style and music and everything kind of put together. Mm -hmm. But I just felt for the boy. Yeah. in the moment while I was watching that and kind of putting myself in his shoes. And I want to get back to that feeling. I think that's nostalgia is when you could just be taken over by something. It doesn't matter what that something is. It doesn't even matter if that's something that you remember when you were 11. It could be something you see when you're 40 and you're overtaken Right. by these feelings. I think that's... That's like real nostalgia too. That's not just like, oh, there's that like little cartoon animal I recognize from my youth. You know what I mean? Yeah, Like it's I guess, not just I guess what this comes down to is being present. Yeah. Yeah, at the end of the day, I'm just encouraging being more and more present with these things and the rewards of being present Yeah, are... be yeah, don't, like lead don't yeah, and, and it's hard. It's hard to turn off your brain sometimes when you watch these movies, but it's yeah, don't have that Which motor running in the background. Just like surrender yourself. Just let again the movie gets to the theatrical experience because that locks you in Yeah. to turning off a lot of the distractive elements. Oh man, cuz it's like it's it's hard when you're watching a movie now it Absolutely. like man, I I had to like throw my phone across Yeah. the room now when I watch cuz it's like fuck, dude, I have to put I'm it just in the other room. Yeah, Yeah. because I I will look. I'm not. I'm. That's it's hard for me. Yeah. It really is and but there are boy there are true rewards in it. All right. So my thought here, Patrick, let's do honorable mentions after we do our top tens, because I want to make sure we're not honorably mentioning something that could be each other's top 10. Gotcha. I love that. And uh, I'll go first because I want you to go last because I want to hear what you I'm just excited for your list. Ah, oh, thank you. Um, but so we're going to do 10 to one. We'll do that whole thing if um We also, if we share something on the list, one of us will just say higher and we'll move on to talk Mm hmm about it simultaneously so we don't um, repeat ourselves too Gotcha. much. Yeah, let's do it. This is, I, boy, a lot of anticipation here, folks, at least Yeah. on our side of things. So my number 10 movie of the year, and these are favorites, folks. This I, I'm not even, on a, I'm not saying any of this shit is best. God only knows. that, that That's a False term. it's God, all there's no best. There's it's no what best. vibes with you the most it's your it's your vibe Yeah. And so my number 10 favorite film of the year is The Eternal Daughter, written and directed by Joanna Hogg out of the UK. Um, it's a gothic mystery drama film starring Tilda Swinton, who is playing dual roles. She is playing both the daughter and the mother. in this movie it's very clearly a covid movie uh there's not a lot of cast it's in a pretty empty old um old hotel 
And in essence, um, the story is about Julie, who is a filmmaker who takes her elderly mother, Rosalind, to a secluded hotel. Uh, Julie's father recently died, and wants to, and she wants to spend time with her mother in hopes of making a film about her. Um, there's memories, there's issues, there's mother-daughter issues, and kind of what we realized, though, that this movie is a ghost story. And it's kind mm. of in that British, chilly, not too real scary, but just kind of a feeling of Ooh. ghosts. And... Joanna Hogg is an absolute master of tone and rhythm and pacing and kind of she's incredibly decisive in all of her choices. She's got that kind of slow cinema, mm-hmm. art cinema, kind of like she's not flashy, but it's very groovy. And she's been building out this autobiographical kind of auto fiction style in her last three films her previous two films this were the souvenir one and two um and all of her films are autobiographical but souvenir one and two are essentially about a young woman who's in film school art school and her desire to become a filmmaker but also kind of relationships and her relationship with her family interesting fact the young woman in that movie the young filmmaker is named julie her mother in those films is named rosalind and tilda swinton plays the mother in souvenir films so there is in essence a feeling that the eternal daughter jumps forward in the future of the souvenir films and these are all kind of on the same continuum oh which is God. which is pretty cool and hip yeah uh also joanna hogg is a filmmaker is a filmmaker like these are her stories her mother did pass away during covid oh no um and her oldest friend in the world, who she went to art school with, is Tilda Swinton. Who, in the souvenir films, at toward the end of it, when she's the Julie character is making a film, there is a young redhead on screen in the background. And in the souvenir films, the character Julie is played by Tilda Swinton's daughter in her acting debut. So there's all this wonderful, is it real, is this kind of... And I think she's a magical filmmaker. Like, I think, like, um, all of her movies, Archipelago is my favorite of her her early movies. She kind of discovered that guy, Tom Hiddleston. He's in all of her early movies. And there's just nothing that, like, her movies are such purely, like, they're hardcore art cinema. But this one is like the first one she's had that's kind of engaged with a little more genre kind of stuff because there's kind of like, oh, it's kind of a spooky movie in some senses. But her mastery of tone, mastery of style. I've watched it twice. Um, and I want to watch it. I bought it digitally because it was the only way it was available. I want, again, I didn't go see it. I didn't even know how to see it in the theater. Who knows? Um, it's really like... If you like the souvenir movies, you're gonna like this one, I think. And you know, she's an acquired taste. Uh, should it also be noted, Martin Scorsese is an executive producer on this movie. He is a huge fan of hers, and I always thought it was really beautiful what he said. He was trapped in England making Hugo about a decade ago. He's feeling very blue about how the production on Hugo oh, no. is going. And I, yeah, I liked Hugo. I do too. Yeah, yeah, I do too. I like it a lot. But he, you know, 3D, tough, tough situation, kids. Right. A lot of, a lot of elements there. 
that are yeah, very un-Scorsesean. Tough makes for a tough shoot. A lot of effects, yeah. all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And he gets sent a movie by the BBC, and they're like, "You should check this out. This newer filmmaker." And he's like, "I don't want to like." It just felt like homework. Right. <laughs> he throws it on. It's Archipelago. He's he and he he wrote her a letter the next day, and he goes. I was feeling so down. I was feeling so blue about movies, but you restored my faith in this one night and made me feel happy. And God gave me the juice to move on to make, to finish Hugo. And he has been, he executive produced the souvenir films. He executive produced this one. He has been a supporter ever since. And I think that that is a really neat thing. And come on folks, like the Scorsese wars, we know who wins. (laughs) Yeah. It's but it's a, it's a, it's a really great it's a really great movie and it's like a kind of a theme on these ones is like it stuck with me. The first time I watched it, I was like, oh, that was interesting, kind of chilly. But then I wanted to watch it again. When I watched it again, I was like, I liked it even more this time. It kind of draws you in with its hypnotic um, pace. Mm. And then Tilda's great, obviously, in both roles. And it's really like, you know, when when. Even when Jen and I were watching it, Jen kind of has that like puzzle-oriented mindset when she's watching a film. And I'm not going to spoil kind of the twists and turns of it. I want everyone else to enjoy it. But she was like calling out. She's like, "Oh my god, look at that! Oh, you know." And you know, she does a lot of color commentary when she watches movies. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but I, it's 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 great, and I think um, well worth everyone's time. Um, also, 96 minutes. It's not going over. Doesn't overstay its welcome. Man, uh, I really want. Yeah. yeah, it's a neat movie. You've like uh, introduced me. I, you know, I've heard of Joy to Hog, obviously, and I remember this when the Souvenirs One and Two came out. But uh, I'm so excited to enter this world. I, I've never. I think uh, I didn't watch it because I was like, oh, I haven't seen Souvenir One and Two. Maybe I need to see those before I see this one. You, do, you don't. Oh, let me let me say that you don't. Ooh. It's just an interesting little like, because there's no real. It's just kind of like in the same way that like it's interesting that Mikhail Haneke names every character, every couple in his, like leading couple in his movies, George and Anne. <laughs> it's like, what does that mean? What is it? Yeah, it's like it, again, like gets back to like what you were saying of like it doesn't necessarily have to make sense. It's just kind of interesting, like for huh, sure. Like, yeah, there's something there, and I wonder what the deal with that is, and I'm gonna like dwell on it, come up with a few possible like like ideas as to why but i'm never going to know the answer and that's that's neat i think man yeah well and it's also like uh, i just like the idea of like uh being introduced to like a new like it's just like another hong sing su where it's like oh cool mm-hmm. i have a whole new you know not in, you know in the sense that they're similar or anything like that but in the sense that like it's a, just a whole new cinematic world that i have yet to travail mm-hmm. and, and just an interesting looking- an interesting new an interesting voice yeah, a singular yeah. voice that's worth following, certainly. Someone off the beaten path, and that's that's what this is all about. Beaten off the beaten path. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that was my number ten, the Eternal Daughter. What's your number ten? Oh man, my number ten is uh, a movie that is probably on your list. Uh, we're both Bardo boys. Higher, after all. Higher. Oh my god, <laughs> there we go. All right, so let's move on. It's begun. It's uh, begun. Hashtag Bardo boys. We'll talk about it soon. Yes, but uh, it's a good one. We'll talk. I can't wait to talk about it when we get there. Uh, All right. My number nine, then, mm-hmm. is a film that I just watched recently. I, I um, 
and I recommend this to anyone because I think this works at least throughout the United States. I don't, my guess is it's not, doesn't work internationally, but you can give it a shot. For $90 a year, you can join Film Independent, a organization located here in Los Angeles. They do a lot of on-site events. They do a few like streaming. They did a lot of streaming during the pandemic events. Um, and if you don't live in the Los Angeles area, you kind of SOL on those. But the big deal is for $90 a year, you can become an independent Spirit Award voter and have access to independent Spirit Award screeners through their digital Ooh. website. <laughs> if you want to catch up on cool independent movies and kind of cool, the cool artier movies and that kind of thing, it's a steal at the end of the day. And mm. so the one I'm going to mention, I don't know how it it's Sony Pictures Classics has the rights to it in the United States. Um, I think it comes out some point in February for the most part in the United States. And this film is called Return to Soul, written and directed by a filmmaker named Davy Chu. Mm-hmm. Who Davy Chu is a um, Cambodian French filmmaker. He um, is of Cambodian descent, but he grew up in France. And Return to Soul and um, has an alternative title that I like a lot called All the People I'll Never Be. Uh, is about a young woman named Frederic Freddie Benoit, who is of South Korean descent, who as a baby was adopted by a French couple and brought to France. And what the film is about is about she's now 25 years old and she has returned titularly to Seoul, <laughs> Korea, and is um, semi trying to track down her biological family. Just basics mm. of the story. Opening scene in the movie really, really drew me in, Patrick. We're at a bar in in Korea, right off the bat. Davy Chu's framing it, three three to a table. They're drinking soju. Guess what I'm thinking? I'm thinking about our guy Hong Sang Soo. It's a setup. It's a Hong Sang Soo setup. Is it not? It's a classic Soo. It's a classic move. And I'm like, oh, Davey, I think you've seen our man Hong Sang Soo here. Then we realized that Freddie doesn't speak Korean. She's demanding the people who are with her speak French, despite they are Korean people. Mm -hmm. And she's going to pour herself another drink. And she picks up the bottle. And the two people across, no, 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 no. Um, it's custom here that we pour, like, people pour for you. It's an insult if you don't do that. And she goes, who's an insult to? And they go, I guess to both of them, everyone. And she goes, okay. She picks up the bottle and pours herself a drink. Boom. I was like, oh, my God, I'm hooked. Who is she? I want to know who this, like, if she's going to do that. And then... She starts going table to table and combining, like, these table of boys, this table of, like, other girls. And she brings everybody together and becomes this big party sequence. And you're like, oh, she's, like, got this, like, she is, like, so, like, intriguing. And then she ends up going home with one of the guys. She wakes up, and you can tell she's drank too much. And she's like, ugh. She looks over. He's asleep next to her. And she goes. She wakes him. She goes, "Hey, dude, do we have sex?" And every other movie, you're like, "Uh oh, she's gonna feel like, and this is gonna get icky." Like, mm-hmm. but she had a, you know, kind of. 
an American movie, it's like, oh, that's like, maybe it's because we're a little prudish, or maybe because we're just on guard against bad people. We're always thinking the worst is going to happen, right? Right. He goes, he's like so naive in this like kid. He's like, uh, uh, yeah. And she goes, can we do it again? And then, and then it's like, oh my god, who is she? Like she's like this like take charge, and she's like purposely rude to people, and she's all over the place. And at one point, they go to this bar for this club scene, which you know I love club scenes. <laughs> She goes with the boy she slept with and this young woman who's like the head, who's like the, the head of the hostel that she's staying at. Both the boy and the young woman are clearly in love with her. Everyone falls in love with her despite the fact that she's nothing but trouble in the movie. Mm-hmm. They're like sitting there having drinks. She's flirting with both of them, but we know kind of like, oh, I don't know. She's like, what, what her end game is with mm-hmm. these people. They go, oh, isn't the music good? She goes, huh. She like, strides up to the DJ booth, whispers in his ear, he changes the song to a completely different music, and then she does like a solo dance on the dance floor with everybody <laughs> in the bar watching her, and then she goes home with the DJ rather than the other two. Wow. And I'm like, what is this? And then it's all about the relationship. Movie takes place over 10 fucking years. Oh my god. Yeah. It's it's phenomenal. That's absolutely phenomenal. And the lead actress, who G. Min Park, who is apparently a French artist, never mm-hmm. acted before, she's like, you can't take your eyes off of her. It's phenomenal. Her performance is just phenomenal. And it's just this, like, oh, wonderful, like, difficult character study. And it's kind of revealed that, like, she is, like, she feels displaced. She doesn't feel she has a country. She doesn't, she feels completely unmoored. And that's why she treats people this way. And that's why, like, and it isn't like, oh, we should feel bad about, like, her trauma for being, it's more about, like, just her behavior and watching her deal with it. And the fact that she is traumatized, but it isn't like this, like, torture porn or trauma porn version of that. It's not making, like, a spectacle of the trauma itself. It's this idea that, like, it's not we shouldn't feel sorry for her. We should just, like, be with her and mm-hmm. see how she behaves badly. See what she does. See the moves she makes. See what how the defi- – and then when she does catch up with her parents, the heartbreak of how they, they feel differently about it. Like, her biological father desperately wants to see her and desperately feels terrible. Mm-hmm. But he's also kind of pissed that she's French. He's like, you got to learn Korean. you got to find a hut. Like, all their, co- like, customs come into play. And she rejects those completely, and she thinks he's kind of a loser. And then we also see, like, when he drinks, he gets out of control in the same way she does. Like, the biological elements. But then her mother wants nothing to do with her. Her mother doesn't want to see her. Mm. And it's like, oh my god, why is that? And it kind of leads to the final sequence, which is heartbreaking and beautiful. And, like, you're left with her kind of like, what do I go? Where do I go? What do I do now? Like, I'm and she's now about 35 when the movie ends. Wow. And it's awesome. It's phenomenal. And um, it's nominated for Best International Film at the Independent Spirit Awards. I think it's like a... Um, it's in the... Um, I don't think it's going to be nominated, but I think it's like one of the 
it could be nominated for international film at the Academy Awards. Oh yeah, it's like one of the like finalists. It's like that second layer where they like yeah. narrow it down to like twelve. I films think it's or in something. that group. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's great. It's a great movie. An astonishing lead performance. Um, intoxicating movie. It's got <laughs> like it's like it's got both like yeah, kind of the weight of the big themes that are playing with it, but it also like really gets this great like being young and being out and about vibe well it feels like well. uh joyful and like in some ways it feels at least initially and then like it also feels like you're not gonna like like you don't see where it's going to go like it's good it zags when it's supposed to zig like it feels there's like an unpredictableness at least that's what i'm well, getting from what you're there's saying an unpredictableness to her character because it's so character based and so mm -hmm. like but she's not like it's not simplistic by any means because she isn't she does a lot of things that are not likable i just described a few of yeah them. exactly like and but that isn't that interesting is that more yeah. interesting than just like this morally strong person who was fucked over by society like wouldn't you like rather see someone who's fucked over by society who isn't strong <laughs> like yeah, how they, exactly. but also want to be strong like isn't that inter isn't that more interesting like well, more that... multifaceted yeah, because, like, we're humans. We're all fallible. And that's yes. immediately going to move. Yeah. There is a place for archetypes. We will get to movies that play on characters who are complete and utter archetypes. Soon yeah. enough on my list. But I guess, like, when I, I was thinking about it, too, like, I, like, I moved and excited by, like, the avatars and the top guns and the RRRs of the mm -hmm. world. But, like, as a like creatively and the things that really like get me going and get me really excited about the idea of filmmaking are movies like return to soul right like the challenges like kind of the stinkerish nature of the the <laughs> filmmaker who is playing with you who is playing with like your expectations and that kind of thing it's not giving you like i love pizza baby everybody loves pizza yeah but the best meal of my life was at Jitlada, that Thai restaurant by UCB, where I had I had this soup that was so spicy I had to take a walk outside mid meal. It was the best thing I've ever eaten. It's my favorite yeah. thing. <laughs> like even you, though it was like painful, it's kind of sucked at times. <laughs> yeah, you like the spice, and that's like yeah, there needs to be yeah, not everything. You can't just eat pizza. You can't. I mean, sustain. I order pizza more than I have this soup. But the soup is the most – like, I don't know the yeah. last pizza I ate. I certainly remember that soup. Correct. Correct. It's <laughs> <laughs> good. Not bad. Not bad. <laughs> so, yeah, Return to Soul, if it comes I, – I hope it comes to your town. I hope it even comes to Los Angeles for all I, all I know because um, it's really good. You know, I think people will be talking about it in the same vein as, like, um, you know, we talked about that movie Millennium Mambo. Uh, on the Discoveries episode. It's got the same kind of some very similar qualities to it. And um, Davey Chu is a filmmaker. He's uh, born in 83. He's 39. 40 mm -hmm. this year. Uh, definitely oh, wow. a filmmaker to keep an eye on. You know, he's made a few docs. Um, but I'm very curious where he goes from here. Cool. I'm gonna look this up. I want to watch. I want to watch Return to Soul. That was that was a movie I was considering watching, and I just never got around to it. And uh, now, now I have to find it, baby. That I I am thoroughly intrigued by your first your first two uh, picks. 
Uh, so for my number nine, this is like my, the most recent movie I added to my list. It really kind of, I didn't know about this movie at all. I sort of, it's like at this, when we're looking at our, t- making our top 10 list, one thing I'll always do is I'll look at the, um, the, uh, international film submissions for like the best Academy Award for best foreign film or whatever. And uh, this was like Pakistan's uh, submission. And I was able to find a copy of it. I was able to watch it. And it is Joyland directed by Saeem Sadiq. And dude, this movie is a fucking banger. It is really, um, I'll just say that uh, like the premise of it, Ali Juneho is the youngest son in a traditional Pakistani family that takes uh, a job as a backup dancer in a Bollywood-style burlesque, uh, where he quickly becomes infatuated with a strong with the strong-willed Biba, who is portrayed by uh, Alina Khan, and she runs the show. And uh, she is also a um, a trans woman. Uh, I think uh, in Pakistan, there's actually this totally different. It's um, there's like this totally it's almost like a totally different there's a there's a totally different context for it it's called like the kawasura or kawasura i'm totally pronouncing it incorrectly and i'm probably gonna get like canceled for bumbling all this up but like it's just like which is which is yeah the good news is hey you can't get canceled if no one listens uh Mm. but uh that's the beautiful thing about this podcast uh yeah it's like who's gonna cancel me my fucking mirror but uh uh it's uh it's just like it reminds me of like Luzu, where it's like it's a movie that's like rough around the edges in some regards. It's not like always perfect, but it does this beautiful job of capturing this like microcosm I've never knew existed. This world of like um these like ca- they're almost like these cabaret shows that exist throughout like Lahore and the rest of Pakistan. Um, the thing too is that the two lead or the three leads, they're all relatively new actors. None of them, like for uh, Ali Juneho, the, the actor who portrays uh, the main character Hader, uh, Ali Juneho, it's like his first role in a movie. Uh, Rasti Farouk, she's only she plays his wife, or, um, and uh, it's like her third or fourth role. Uh, Ali uh, Alina Khan. It's like her second role. Uh, everyone's like very fresh, but they're all very good. I think like the coolest thing about this movie is it kind of demonstrates uh, what happens when you don't quite fit into the mold of a traditional patriarchal society and the damage and the chaos that results from that. Ali's character is... Uh, very much, you know, he was the guy who was, like, working at home for the longest time. Uh, the wife was the one who was, like, making the money. Uh, once he gets a job, which he lies about, by the way, he, he doesn't tell it. He tells his family he's, like, a theater manager when he's actually a dancer, because him being a dancer is kind of, like, would bring shame to the family. Um, those dynamics switch, even though both of them were probably more comfortable with the previous dynamics. Uh, suddenly she's expected to stay home. Um, it's just very, it's very sad. It's very beautiful. It's very sad. It, it, it reminds me of like, in the way that Let Luzu was about how modern day economic dis- constraints 
ruin a traditional way of life. This is kind of like a reverse. We're about how like a traditional way of life, you know, ruins uh, modern day sensibilities. How mm. and if you can't like fit into that mold, you'll break. You'll crack. It'll it'll end you. Um, it makes a lot of choices that uh, I didn't see coming. Like Ali, as Ali's character becomes engrossed by Biba, she becomes infatuated by her. They have a relationship, but then that relationship uh, ends in a very dramatic way that I, I didn't expect. The soulfulness of the character, the fact that like he wants to love this person and he doesn't know how to do it properly. And there's perhaps a bit of fetishization on his end involved that yeah. I don't even think he really understands. You're watching people that don't quite understand what they're going through, grappling with these things that are ultimately going to destroy them. And it's just, it's so beautiful to watch. It's so cool. That I like, I great. love that. Yeah. Sounds great. That one is also on the film independent screener. So I, I have not watched it yet. I will add it to list ASAP. You've, it, it sounds it sounds terrific. I think that that's been a common theme so far. Almost is the um, I think like choices in some of the mainstream movies mm-hmm. are very cut and dry, very black and white. And understanding what needs to be done is mm-hmm. like that in a lot of like more mainstream movies. And I think that seems attractive in our characters thus far that we've met. And I think certainly in my next couple same way it and actually all the way through is that things aren't very clear on what you'd have to do and there's the battle between what you feel and what you know and the unknown and three-dimensional characters three-dimensional situations yeah that's the thing is like these characters um they're so like you're rooting for them on one hand but they're all like flawed including Biba, like including alina khan's character she's not perfect uh they're all they all have these like issues and and it crescendos in the worst way in the end but also in a beautiful way i don't know yeah that's what i'm looking for in movies exactly yeah i mean some would even argue jake sully is not the most competent of fathers we can talk about it in a bit maybe (laughs) (laughs) not a great dad perhaps always um so my next movie up is controversial number eight mm. spot. Um, very controversial movie. I hope I don't get canceled for being such a fan of this movie. And that is, of course, Andrew Dominic's Blonde. Um, a movie that uh, rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Yeah, that movie uh, has a was a two point one on Letterboxd. This is a brave. I like it. Brave done. I like brave done. Yeah, it's um unforgettable movie it is <laughs> it's been very far from my mind like it's been it's not been far from my mind since mm-hmm. i saw it uh some of the images it is not an easy watch it's in fact a brutally sad movie it's not a really a re- it's certainly not really a rewatchable movie in all but andrew dominic's filmmaking is an utter force of nature his his um his unapologetic portrayal of what's happening in this movie is not easy it's not easy and i think even and i think it's a, it's actually made for a lot of very bad criticism though and i think the smartest criticism was actually from paul schrader our beloved 
Paul. Oh. Who simply said the biggest issue with this movie is that it's about Marilyn Monroe. And if it had been about if it had been about a fictional character or anything like that, right? Uh, he would have, and you know, he he's so unapologetic. He's a little he come off as a little callous in some of his interviews, and that has not really helped his cause. Any, um, he does not seem to be all that sympathetic to her as an individual. Hmm. Um, he's portraying the truth, which is that for all of her charisma and all of her meteoric rise, her life was not a pleasant one. And it did not end pleasantly. There was no third act triumph. And he is not particularly interested in trying to make any attempt at that. Hmm. And so for some, this is a torturous movie to watch. Um, Dominic's technique is as good as anyone's. He is one of the flashiest, most interesting filmmakers. If you know Chopper or Jesse James or um, Killing Him Softly. Yeah, one of my favorites. But also, if you know those movies, I think you know this guy. (laughs) (laughs) This is a happy worldview. He, you know, and I, you know, and he had been circling like, he. I think he still is a Cormac McCarthy adaptation. He's the man for the job. He is the man for the job. Yes, he could actually. I think he could portray the the evil of Blood Meridian. He's like one of the few people that could like get to that dark that dark and heart. <laughs> he was the the great Lex G on his podcast described Andrew Dominic as the original king of no comedy. Yeah. Not have a sense killing them softly is really grimly funny. Yeah, that movie does have like a dark even like James Gandolfini's whole character is like it's grimly really hilarious and yeah. funny. But it is funny too. But yes, yeah. it, it, but you have to have a very dark sense of humor um yeah this is blonde is a tragedy through and through yeah um it's my favorite score of the year the nick cave score which really Ooh. underlines the kind of surreal tragedy of it um it's not an empowering movie it's an unpleasant movie in a lot of ways no one comes off very well and yet i think we need these we need the challenge of kind of being mortified mm-hmm. it's not easy it's not for everyone if you don't like this movie i don't blame you um i thought it was a stunning experience but maybe i'm a masochist maybe we kind of got to that already <laughs> no that's and that's like that's fine i think it's like i'm i want to give it a it's a it's a long tough movie so you really have to like get yourself in the right headspace to see it i and i it, watched it uh, it was one of the, it was a dawn early morning movie because I didn't, I wanted to kind of vet it before I asked Jen to watch it with me too. Yeah. Like I just, yeah, I knew I wanted to see it very badly, but I also knew that it might be a little upsetting to her mm-hmm. and probably would be it. There is loads of terribly upsetting things. All yeah. Throughout no, the I, have a, I, have a, I have a friend who watched it and she like dated it, but it's like, but it's also like, uh, 
I don't know. Like these are our lists, right? Like yeah. and you, this, and it touched you. This isn't. And it, it did, and, and I felt yeah. so sad. I felt so fucking sad for her by that's, the time this movie was over. So I did feel something, you know. That's, and, that's good, and like you're, and that's. I think it's good to watch art. That's not I think just he like does bring about empathy, and I think it is about like he is really asking big questions about how we view things within society american society he is an outsider he's australian yet jesse james killing them softly and now bond are distinctly american studies of fame of capitalism of what is success about gender roles and this is interesting compelling stuff but it's not easy and it is a hardcore critique he is a fucking cynic there is no way shape or form about it i mean we know how killing himself ends like that monologue that brad pitt gives while obama uh, is being elected uh, like he's like about what america is about and it ends with the line now give me my fucking money like he's he's harsh man He's a harsh mean, dude, and he's oh, not. Like, and he's, well, poor Scoot McNary in that movie too. The, yeah. the, 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 the million mile stares that guy gives, the hauntedness he evokes. It is and, just like and, yeah. and and. But all of them are tragedies. Mm-hmm. He sees it as tragic. He sees it as a bad thing that's happening. He's hoping that maybe this will open some eyes about everything from fame to the treatment of women in Hollywood and everything in between and he's got an actress in the sound of the Armas who does not compromise either like it's all there like and it's very rough stuff but you know i i like dangerous movies too i like feeling uncomfortable i don't you know, I you know, I, God, I love Top Gun as much as the next guy, but I'm also the guy who, when I saw like Lars von Trier when I was 20, it was like life changing to me. I was like, yeah, I want to like, no, I want to be in this zone. I want to feel uneasy. I want to feel unsettled. It's good to dance on the knife's edge of it. I think that's like, in, and that's important for art. Like boundaries need to be, mm-hmm. you know pushed a little bit not always yeah and i think like you can't really take obviously like i think it's a little baby brained to think you can champion things all the time and that everything's gonna like if we have the right morality and the right ethics and politics in our art that will make us good people in both what we watch and what we create and sometimes there isn't goodness and i think we need to know that there isn't goodness out there that'll help us be good it's a reminder it's a reminder yeah and this is like yeah this is like a horror movie and it's a horror movie about a beloved person and that's tough i understand tough for some people but it moved me made me really feel shit (laughs) and 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 andrew dominic is probably in director's jail for the rest of his life Man, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what movie. Like, does he go back to like New Zealand? I don't know. Yeah, I like, don't know. Well, I don't yeah, know what he does. Yeah, I mean, I uh, think he, everyone. Well, I think everyone knows that he's like technically utterly gifted. Mm-hmm. But is he too much of a pain in the ass mm-hmm. to deal with for like his like extraordinary levels of negativity? 
God, yeah, it's like bad, yeah. Vi- bad vibes. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's a matter of palatability, I guess. That's yeah. that's a good point though. Not all vibes have to be good vibes. Yes. Not all just hanging out with the crew and everybody wants some or something like that. I like Even though one could bad. argue that there's extraordinary darkness in that crew too. But um, oh yeah, well Wyatt Russell's character, his yeah. whole thing is truly depressing. It's, yeah, uh, I, but it's a it for it isn't you know, and I think it's because when a movie gets put on Netflix, when it gets talked about in this way, it's not mainstream. This is mm-hmm. not, you know, you're, you don't watch this after watch, you know. I think I got like the Great British Bake Off recommended to me after this. The Netflix algorithm, you don't watch anything after this. Like, yeah. Maybe you, do, maybe you do watch the Great British Bake Off just to forget about everything, the, the pain of what you just watched. Yeah. But pain matters just as much as pleasure. There's my Hellraiser moment. this is like yeah this is what pinhead gives you yeah it's what pinhead this is opening that damn box um (laughs) it's it's good but just be forewarned it's not if it's not for you that's perfectly fine too and it was for me though it was for me it's my kind of thing i like i like i like kind of rough stuff and crazy stuff sometimes so that's it's cool no it's i think that's good i think it's good to like you know, you know, I was it, the guy who was if we weren't if we weren't doing movie night that night, I was one thousand percent going to go see Salo at midnight at the New Beverly, like, two, <laughs> like last month. I was thousand percent going to go. I love that. Yeah. No, we need that. That's good. <laughs> okay. Um, and don't yeah, don't rag on. That's we need it. We need that. Uh, should we go on to number eight? Let's do it. Okay. Uh, we're, eight. We're, we're, that was my number eight. Yeah. So you're number eight. Or my number eight, sorry, rather. Uh, and I think you have this on your list already, so I'm imagining a higher. Uh, triangle of Sadness. Higher. All right. Yep. Let's move on, but we can move on to number, our number seven, which was your number ten, I believe. Mm-hmm. That is Bardo, False Ooh. Chronicle of a Handful of Truths from our, our dude, Alejandro G. Inaritu, directed, written, produced, edited, and... <laughs> music co-music by alejandro g um some would say this was an indulgent <laughs> way head head way up your ass literally it's a, there are moments in this movie where that could happen yeah um, <laughs> type movie others and i will put myself in this category think it's a moving self-lacerating study of the soul <laughs> It, yeah, it's truly, it is like, um, when I think about this movie, I, the first thing that comes to my mind is the cartoon Duck Amuck, where uh, Donald Duck is, like, in a cartoon, and, like, the, the animator keeps, like, fucking everything up. Like, he gives him, like, a weird face, he puts him in the middle of the ocean, he's just totally, but it's like he's doing that to himself. He's, like, he's, like... He is just putting himself under a microscope and dissecting himself for the audience. I've never seen a movie like like the, some of the the, the the narrative choices this movie makes are so inexplicable. Like I've never I've never like a, it's just a unique once in a lifetime experience. It is, and it's it's a guy who's taking all of his cachet mm-hmm. and all of the cash that people are driving up to his house after winning back to back best directors for Birdman and the Revenant and burning the house down. Yeah. With that with the money as the f- flame. 
Knight, the feel for the Knight. He did a Joker Dark Knight. He did. Yes. Yeah. He. Yeah. And you know, I was talking with my brother about it because he is a hashtag Bardo boy, like we are. Yeah. He loves it as much. But he's talking with a friend, and he's like, "Oh, Netflix." And his friend was like, "Oh, Netflix must have been thrilled when they got this." Like, oh, it ruled! Like, oh man, that's such a good. What a beautiful fuck you! I love that. Like it is. Well, it's it it so. For those who have not seen it, um, about a Mexican journalist turned filmmaker named Silverio Gamma who lives in Los Angeles with, with his wife and his teenage son. He has a daughter who goes to school in, I think, Boston, um, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Yes, Boston. And it is a journey through the mind, heart, soul, guilt, shame, desire, and everything in between. Yes. Yeah. Silverio heads from Los Angeles to Mexico to accept some some level of like a lifetime achievement award or something like that. Yeah, it's sort of like a uh, the type of award that is given to you know, journalists. It's sort of like a sub Pulitzer Prize type thing. And then the, also it's the yeah, kind well, of award that is given to people like Alejandro G. Inaritu. Yes, they're kind of like what is the villain? Is it, do I, did I just get this award for uh because I have made some successful, you know, life choices in the past. Am I getting this award for, like, geopolitical purposes? Why? Like, yeah, because also in the backdrop all of the of movie. It is, all of it is covered, folks. Yeah. There's, no stone is left unturned in it, the idea machine of Alejandro Giannarito. That's like, it feels like you're walking through a guy's mind when you watch this movie. But, like, the 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 walls between the subconscious and memory have been taken down and things just you never know what's real but you the, never know what's <laughs> the beautiful thing is in the final like climax and act of the movie when you realize what has been going on which we're not Aww. going to yeah you're then like moved to tears <laughs> yeah and you're like oh this suddenly makes a lot more sense <laughs> makes a lot more sense and it's a we, i was just talking about it with andrew yesterday and we were just kind of going through like can you believe he filled a fucking subway with sand? Can you believe that dance sequence to the Let's Dance, uh, the acapella Let's Dance? Can you believe the migrant sequence? Yeah, or the, or the pyramid of guys, and yeah. then they get cut. Oh, my God. See, or the even the part where he shuts down Mexico City to have people drop to the pavement all around oh. him yeah where it's like it's like that one radiohead music video where like what was it the one where the guy's like i, I don't want to tell you what i've listened to or else you're gonna be on the ground like me yeah. man it's so it's it's, it's a stunning visual work mm-hmm. and it's my favorite in a Ritu movie man Do- i think you might be i'm i need to rewatch revenant again because i really like revenant mm-hmm. but like uh it is like a, it is just like, it's so cool that a movie like this exists and the, uh, yeah. that something this creative is allowed to, you know, this is like, if Netflix does have a benefit, it is that yeah. they will give like, you know, the green light to just stuff like this or blonde or whatever. And it's going to like, and there's a third, I don't think it made either of our lists, but there was a third movie along with blonde and. Bardo that they put out this year, which is of course No Bombax White Noise, oh, which yes, also yes. fits the bill with Blonde and Bardo of being a crazed. I'm going to take Netflix's money and do take some bold 
swings. And yeah. some work and some don't. In all of them. And that's but like it's that's impressive ex- nonetheless. That's the thing. And then and that's like the beautiful thing about Bardo for me is like for every like weird choice I don't necessarily vibe with in Bardo, mm-hmm. there's like three that like bring my jaw to the floor. There's yeah. like there's just a lot of like and I think like it's good to champion a film that's brimming with this much like originality and creativity because and, i feel like, like yeah. individual like artistic voice and passion mm-hmm. like for better or worse i mean this guy is him he yeah. dresses like him he's got the same haircut as i mean if you see pictures of them you're like might as well have acted in it yeah it's him so, yeah like it's him and yes that verge is on self-indulgence it is like a little but then but it's also like but what was it? What is the difference between that and the Fablemans, or that and the Ephra Sun, or that and um, any of these other Armageddon time, any of these other damn movies that are basically autobiographical that came well, out this year? And I think the thing that differentiates differentiates this movie from the other ones is this is just a true opening of it. Feels like you know, you're it feels like Alejandro is opening his fucking chest, and you're seeing his beating heart. You're really yeah, like he's trying to capture the subconscious in a visual way yeah and which is as, badass it's fucking it rules awesome. yeah yeah and as like yeah and even if that is like a little uh jack off motion at times it's really cool and i think that like yeah this should be i would love to see more of this well this is a part of the war on art thing that's happening right now it's like trying to per- persuade people not to do stuff like this mm-hmm. not to go this wild and I guarantee you, man, people are going to be watching this movie in 20 years. Yeah. Because it's so fucking memorable. It's cool. It's good. I don't know. Yeah. 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 He was at uh, the new Bev a few weeks ago, Mm -hmm. and I had to miss it. I was really bummed. And I usually don't want to, like, go up and talk to a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. But I did want to come up and talk to him. Like, don't let the bastards get you down. You made a masterpiece here, dude. Like, yeah. (laughs) And... Why'd you cut a half hour from the Venice cut? Give me the Bring three it. hour one. Bring it on. Bring yeah. it on. We're already there. We're, We're already... already. Those of us who are sold are sold. You can't take yeah. us away. <laughs> like, Yeah, I want more more of you with a weird uh, child body. More more holding a little baby in your palms. Give me, give me so that fun. craziness. I was talking about that part with him and his dad. And how move how ter- I'm like so moved by it, but I really think it's like again, this gets to like giving yourself into a movie and then feeling things, recognizing moments. It doesn't have to be A to A. I am this, so thus I'm this. I'm not a fifty-something Mexican documentarian. No, but I certainly know what it feels like to still feel like a little kid when you're talking to your dad, but despite being forty. Yeah, well, it's like, I can't remember if we've talked about this on the podcast or not, but it's like the, it's that thing where, like, the movie becomes so specific that it becomes weirdly universal. Yeah. Like, it's like, we've all, we've all have weird relationships with our father. We all have, you know, family troubles and doubts. Like, I think my favorite. Sometimes that A to C Mm -hmm. is more powerful to a viewer than an A to B. Oh, for sure. It, it will, and it's like, and it's, ah, what was, see, see, for me, my favorite part was when, uh, he has that conversation, it's weirdly, it's one of the more subdued parts of the movie, it's when he has that conversation with the, uh, the, uh, 
interviewer on the roof. Yeah. That that was a cool because for me that was like him like ripping into himself, but then building himself back up afterwards. And there's yeah. something really beautiful about that. Him like totally eviscerating himself and then finding the confidence to like keep on because it's like you need that. You need that level yeah. of confidence to, to to make a movie like this. And it's, he, it's this guy is so fucking confident. <laughs> this Tinnerito guy. I think that's why critics hate him. Like they hate him because he's not confident, and they hate him because he hates them. Birdman contains one of the most brutal takedowns of a critic ever put into films, <laughs> <laughs> and this one is not that much more pleasant oh, in that rooftop scene either. This is another one though, like Bardo, like like Blonde, like and it, like a lot of the ones we've mentioned. It's not; it might not satisfy you, but if you're, it might also become your favorite movie. There's yeah. not a lot of middle ground here. If it, if it's on your wavelength, you're gonna perk up. I, I guarantee it. Yeah. And we should note, of course, we know eight and a half. Of course, we know it's like kind of basically eight and a half, but it's different from eight and a half. If yeah, you ask me, it's it's, it's yeah, it's different it's movies. Its own it's beast. It's, yeah, let it let it. Thematically, be, it's, yes, it's about an artist, a director having an existential crisis, but they're different. Guess so. what? There's there were movies about that before eight and a half. There were books about that before eight and a half, probably. Like, yeah, like everyone, chill out. There's, yeah. there's a lot of movies about underdog sports teams that come back to win. I like every single one of them. They're basically it's, the same thing. Yeah, it's it's fine. Yeah, it's there's fine. a reason. Yeah, there's a reason why we use that same story premise over and over again. Yeah. It's a good one. <laughs> it, it, when I hear the pitch die hard on a I'm gonna watch it. This matters. Because yes. like, that's a good pitch. <laughs> It's That's a, a solid pitch. premise. It still works, bro. Still works, friends. What do you got in the number seven spot, Patrick? <laughs> oh man, this is a movie that um, I feel like was uh, kind of unsung and didn't like. I feel like it was not on a lot of people's radars. Although I think it has kind of its fair share of supporters. Uh, you know now, uh, and it was like yeah, but it was, at the time, at least uh, when I was watching it, like you know, I feel like it was it had already been forgotten. Because uh, it came out earlier in the year, and it was only released on HBO. And it's uh, my boy Steven Sodenberg. He's back with Kimmy. Man. Happy late 60th, Steven. It was his 60th last week. Uh, I tip a glass of Dr. Pepper to you, sir. Indeed. Uh, I, know he, I know he loves his DP. Uh, He's got his own brand of booze. I've never tried it. I always wanted to. <laughs> really? Interesting. Yeah. I would love to. <laughs> but he's like, you know, I feel like Sodenberg is... Uh, is under the radar compared to a lot of great auteurs living nowadays, but he is constantly making interesting things. Like, you know, every decade, you know, he had traffic in Aaron Brockovich in 2000, obviously, you know, he's, you know, he had Bubble, which is a crazy, but he's always like trying new things and doing things differently. Um, I didn't really vibe with this previous movie, No Sudden Move. It wasn't bad. It just was like, yeah, it's fine. It was just a solid, it felt like just like, kind of like a solid by the number, you know, crime pick. Uh, this movie fucking rules. This, I just really, I rewatched it last night, actually, just to make sure it kind of deserved to be in my top 10. And I was just constantly entertained. It's, uh, I think part of it is that like, the actors he chooses for, like, Zoe Kravitz is so fun as Angela Child. She has, like, this thing where she 
you know, she has all these mannerisms. She's she's basically she's an agoraphobic Seattle tech worker that discovers um, the evidence for a crime on her uh, in her while she's like working. She works for this company called Amygdala, and they make this thing called Kimmy, which is basically like a uh, version of Siri. And her job is to kind of review the uh, mistakes that occur when people suggest things to, like, you know, Kimmy, and it doesn't come out properly. And one of them <laughs> turns out to be a murder. And, you know, or she lists, she hears a murder, essentially. And uh, that murder turns out to be caused by someone very important. <laughs> and so <laughs> I don't want to give too much away. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but uh, it's just... Um, it's it was a also modern riff on the conversation. A hundred percent about it's like a modern riff on the conversation. It's more maybe a modern riff on a blowout. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's super uh, stressful. It's a great. I feel like it really does a great job of building up tension because she is like someone who like refuses to leave her house. She had. Uh, an incident in her past life it keeps her indoors and then on top of that the pandemic's a great use of the pandemic by the way most movies like uh either ignore it or it's shoehorned in in a very dumb annoying way yeah. this movie does it perfectly and it feels real um and uh her having to go out and meet people at the company she works for to talk about this uh is done in such a like a, an intense, traumatic way. Like I've never seen uh, footage of someone walking down a stairwell be so scary and like, oh god! Like you really feel for her as she's like, you know, she's always like, kind of like her her shoulders are up to her her like upper neck. She's like always hunched and like she does not like being out in the world and then the world gets thrust upon her in the worst way possible um does it sometimes get a little crazy towards the end uh sure like do i believe that like a here's the thing would a billionaire tech mogul uh hire hitmen to to murder someone that know a deep secret i kind of believe that i can see a zuckerberg or a musk pulling the <laughs> pulling the insane uh it that the the antagonist of this film pulls off uh i don't know it's just it was riveting all the like the micro before i think the one thing i appreciate about soderbergh films too is that like every actor gets to cook every actor gets a little yeah. feast all the support like rita wilson plays like just a totally evil just like the demonic person uh the the uh, the demonic uh representation of uh you know the dropout, like that whole like uh, oh, yeah. you go slay and business girl, the like le- that the whole... lean in. Stuff. Yes, yeah. it is just like the lean in, the lean in gone curdled, the lean in just yeah. leaning in in the worst way, leaning in on your throat as it slowly chokes you to death. Yeah. The, those business, those business grind set books have got such a sinister, like underbelly to them. Oh yeah, well like in the. Main hitman in this play by uh, Jaime Camille, who I think was famous for uh, what was he in? I think he was in Jane the Virgin. Uh, you know, he wasn't in a lot of like stuff. He is so great as like another one of these businessmen who's also like he's like a lean-in guy too. Everyone, even the assassin, is a lean-in guy. It's yeah, so, that's it's good. so yeah, it rules. I don't know. It's such a treat. Give it a watch. Nice. It's also like 
great year for Zoe Kravitz too. She fucking I never was like a big um, Zoe Kravitz head, but I realized I was never a big Zoe Kravitz head because she never had like she never got the opportunity to actually the material. Start. Yeah, exactly. She's never been given great material, and now that she's actually gotten like a meaty role, put her in more shit. Give her. Yeah, I give think her some... I think she'll get it. Yeah. Number six, you've already mentioned it. I sell shit. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Triangle of Sadness by our number one international mischief maker, Ruben Ostland. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we love it. We love this one. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, more it's, yeah, it's so good. It's just uh, everyone. It's another one of those movies where everyone gets a chance to cook again. Like all the like Harris Dickinson, Dolly De Leon as the lady who um, inexplicably uh, Abigail the Abigail, toilet, yeah. the toilet cleaner turned dictator. Yeah, Empress. Yeah. Empress. Yes. Oh man, it's such a fun. Yeah, it's just a great. Uh, it's just a great. Uh, Exploration of power dynamics too, it's, and I think, yeah, yeah, it's it's Osland doing his, you know, doing his cooking as he does. Yeah. If you're a force majeure fan, if you're a fan of the square, I do think you know what you're getting into with it. But at the same time, he keeps refining it. He keeps needling. I love mm-hmm. filmmakers who kind of needle the audience. <laughs> But you know what? Here's the thing: the needling is earned because the characters he writes feel fully developed, like and for the most complicated. Yes, for the most part. Like yeah, no. for the most part. With any, the, there's obviously like a couple except like not every character gets to be fully like that. British couple is kind of just a, a, a bit, but man, that the bit's really good. The, the lady who makes that all the crew go for a swim. <laughs> <laughs> it's all and because we're laughing you should know this movie is maybe the funniest movie of the year uh uh i think so yeah i'd say yeah. it's probably the yeah yeah i'd say it's the funniest movie of the year yeah yeah it's 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 so funny and um just to give up that part where the guy the crew guy takes off his shirt <laughs> and then carl complains about it that he gets <laughs> sees him getting fired and getting taken away on the boat <laughs> and they just cut to him like ooh I didn't that wasn't totally where I saw that going <laughs> Such a, yeah no it, it rules it's a really good time at the, th- the theaters like and also yeah. yeah he's one of the most exciting filmmakers in the world he's won the palm door can twice mm-hmm. for his last two movies this one and the square he is on He's at the tip top of international filmmakers right now. Mm-hmm. You know, he's at that peak and there's no reason to believe he's not going to continue to be someone we have to reckon with in some cases. Again, some people aren't going to like this movie at all. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess that's a common theme. It's the, yeah. you know, cause this movie is kind of mean too. Yeah. It, it's mean, but it's you, people need to like. This is a movie where you do. I think it's more. This isn't like blonde to me. Where like I think this is more mm-hmm. on like you need to open your. Because like it, it's mean, but it's so like like I feel like in a dumber movie, uh, the Swedish billionaire character, for example, he'd be portrayed as like a total asshole who just sucks, yeah. and 
he's portrayed as like a normal if awkward guy in this yeah. you know what i mean like at the end of the day every character in this movie with the exception like i said of a couple joke characters are painfully human oh, i mean the part that always strikes me is when they hunt the um the mule oh on my the God. island and they kill it and it, it's awful and they react appropriately. Like all these guys who think they're these like tough men's men end up like crying on each other's shoulder because it was so terrible to actually hunt <laughs> something. But then they forget about it and they celebrate their masculinity in like the very next scene. It's like <laughs> the the frailty of men is one of yeah. the like funnier things that Oslin does. And the balance of no movie, like it's such a critique of power. Yeah. And who is like starting even from like that's the restaurant scene that opens the movie, which is like one of his key scenes he's ever put together about picking up the bill between the two models. It's um it's it's you know, check it out. It's on demand. He's he's an incredible filmmaker. Clearly Patrick and I both liked it. Let's move on to the it's, next one. <laughs> it's a banger. It's so good. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, give it a watch. Uh God, yeah, great movie. Oh, uh, my no, favorite ne- my favorite needle drop too in movies this year with um the refused new noise as the toilets are starting to overflow on the boat and woody harrelson's giving his treatise on how his government killed the kennedys and martin luther king (laughs) (laughs) with the shit salesman just a crazy salesman it's so funny it's so it's yeah it's so good what you gotta watch this movie folks if you find the time try, try uh, and see it as patrick mentioned too with the crowd it's even funner with the crowd yeah i'm like feel like i'm one of the luckiest people on earth yeah. because i got to and watching that actually that was probably one of the scariest movies moments i've had in a the movie theater because i truly thought someone next to me was going to vomit and that was kind of like scary but, it, but that's thrilling that's cool and it's it's awesome to watch a movie that elicits that reaction weirdly Again, enough. yeah i think that might be another common theme we just want we want react. We don't want to be placated and patted on the head and just have a nice little time and forget about it and go to Applebee's afterwards. We want to go to Applebee's afterwards and be stoked and do like shots because we're talking too much about stuff. I just want to feel. I guess the bottom line is we're going to Applebee's after no matter what. Oh yeah, yeah. We're getting a uh, an Appletini or whatever dumb yep. fucking thing they serve there. Huh? What do you got? See, what here... do you got? Six slot. Uh, six slot. I'm like Team Fuddruckers. I've never been. I've never been to an Applebee's. I've been to TGI Fridays. Uh, no. Here we go. Number six. Do I need to? Probably not. Uh, it's so funny that we're talking about Applebee's and like being challenged and all these things. Because my next movie is probably the most conventional of the movies on my list, and mm-hmm. in some ways the least challenging. But I think it was also for me a refreshing, uh, a refreshing breath of air because. Uh, it feels like they just don't make movies like this anymore, folks. And it's uh, Ron Howard's 13 Lives. Ooh, baby. Here, hear move. my applauding. Hear my applauding. I was moved by this movie. It's I loved just, it. Loved it's, it. It's so good. Because, like, and look, uh-oh, like I said, we've been talking about challenging yourself. you got to challenge yourself. And we both are we're team challenge. But this, this is just a well-made steak and mashed potatoes of a film. This is just a... There's a problem, and it's up to these ragtab group of lads to solve it. That's, you know, kids are stuck in a cave. How do we get these kids out of the cave? Uh, are we going to find um, ways to drain that cave? 
with the help of local farmers? Hell yeah. Are is it we hella gonna... hard? Is it all hella hard? Yeah. Yeah. Ah, it's difficult. And they make you feel it. It's difficult. This is tough. And you're, you know, and there's, I think this movie also does a good job of not just centering the movie on Colin Farrell and Viggo Moore as it's a community. Yeah, it's a community film, and they really get the you really get the um, the scope of effort taken. Like you know, the military's involved, the government's involved, every you know, news. And there are no are bad guys. Everyone no. wants to get this done and save these kids. It, it's it's it rules. It is like it is. Man, you feel like this doesn't happen. Is part of me that's like man maybe we should put more kids in caves maybe that will maybe that will solve like world maybe that will solve world peace just <laughs> yo in ron yeah you're right because that's like ron howard's big theme in this movie the big global theme is that like hey guess what if we collaborate and work together like miracles can <laughs> yes we can like you know get you know if we put all our you know energies and efforts together we can solve problems and it's so and that's the thing is like yeah everyone on the planet everyone's happened this was a big deal like i even remember like you know hearing about this like you know on twitter and like in the news when this occurred and so uh yeah it's just a great it's just a great you know there's not much to like say about it like thematically like it's just a good time it's just a really and it's so it's like what we've talked about with christina Wu about how like it's so um satisfying to see people competent and competency good at their jobs yeah. yeah this is just a great example of competency porn watching and the uh all the cinematography and footage of the actual cave expedition is so well done and gorgeous and claustrophobic and scary no i heard an interview where pt anderson was talking to ron howard about it and even pt anderson was like you, you weren't in a real cave like it was like it felt like it felt so real like, it was yeah it. <laughs> and it's like it's just i don't know yeah it was a banger and it's like this thing too where like ron howard man i'm not gonna lie i like written this guy off years ago he's yeah. like you know Bro, like man. what was the yeah He's just kind of a boy. Like, you know, what was the last movie he did that was interesting? Rush, I guess. Rush, that was, Rush was his last, like, really great one, I think. And Rush, I think, is a really great movie. Oh, totally. I think that's a good movie, too. But it was like, yeah, after that, it's like, ah, uh, he's just doing, you know, kind of I kind of like the I kind of like the Moby Dick one in the heart oh, of the Oh, the, the... You know what? I it wasn't saw bad. That. It wasn't terrible. I, it got, like, yeah, that movie, um... Yeah, it got more hate than it deserved, for sure. Uh, but, I think uh, he does, though. I think he gets more hate than he deserves. He's tal He's genuinely talented. Anyone who yeah. doesn't think that is like a fucking loser. Like yeah, it's so like, I like people are going after because Paul Thomas Anderson declared this his favorite movie of 2022, and people are going after him on Twitter saying he had like normie taste or bad taste. And I, oh. all I'm going to do is scream like, "You try and make this movie, Twitter writer. You try and like make this 13 Lives movie and pull it off. Good luck. There's like yeah. 10 people in the world who can. <laughs> God, it's like." Also, just the whole like normie, t like it just makes me mad. Just what are you? Well, it's so funny. They were like, "Why does he have tastes like this? Why does he have like normie dad tastes?" Well, I hate to tell you, he turns fifty three this year and is a father of four. What the fuck do you think he is? He's a normal dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get yes, out of like, here. Yes, he's very good at his job. But what does he do when he's not doing his job? 
He's probably a dorky ass dad. <laughs> yeah, he you know he's not gonna unwind with fucking uh, I know, you know, fucking... blonde or whatever. Yeah, no. he, he, yeah. wants, he, just, he wants he just he just wants to have a beer and watch the hang out with his kids and watch this like inspiring movie about these guys diving in a cave. <laughs> yeah, like this is his favorite comedic actor, Adam Sandler. Like, come on, yeah, come on. Yeah, like, he's a man of the people. That's what's yeah, so wonderful he, that's about what him. Makes him so great. Yes, he's not an elitist. He is a man of the people. Here's my hot yeah. take on 13 Lives, because I love it too, if I've made that mm-hmm. clear. Colin Farrell's best performance of the year. In his, Man. In his big year. Yeah. I'd say it's so funny. I uh, I watched uh, Banshee's Venture, and I watched uh, 13 Lives, and then I watched the first half of After Yang. I just wasn't able to finish it in time. And the and, Batman. Uh, he also was Penguin. Oh, Batman my this year God. Too. This is the big year. year for him. Big year for a man, Colin. It, he's getting that Oscar, baby. He's getting that fucking. I'm knocking on wood. I'm. Yeah. I'm. I'm. I like, love you, know, you. Love to see it. He's great. He's one of the best. Yeah, but, it's uh, so cool. But good. But yeah, but I think you're right. I think it is his best. Well, and it's like so unassuming. Where the kid isn't breathing, and he just says, "I need to take a give me a second and you can just see the look on his face and like all the color is drained from his eyes. It's and just like how they never hit the nail on the head. It's like he cares because he's a dad. He's like a loving yeah. dad. That's why he cares. But they never say it out loud. They just show him in action how he reacts to the kids. It's like it's beautiful. And the way it's contrasted with hard ass Vigo who it's who doesn't a, give an inch, but you know yeah. it's like he wants it. He wants to save the day. And yeah. then the wild card. They bring in Joel Edgerton to knock it out, to take it home at the end. He's dealing with that stuff with his father being ill. And he does that same speech to all the kids like, he's the best He's the best dog in the world, mate. And it's yeah. like, it's <laughs> so great that he's like, keeps repeating the same speech to the kids. Like, that's his like, he knows it works and he knows it will calm the kids down as he's given them. Oh, it's, I, oh, it's, it was yeah. so good. Good call, yeah. man. Good to my movie. honorable mentions. Love Hell it. yeah. Check it out if you haven't seen it. It'll make your night. Yep. It's a treat. It's a real treat. Good call, dude. Good call. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, my number five, Park Chan-wook's decision to leave Ooh, in the number baby. five spot. Won't reveal too much because this movie does rely quite a bit on twists and turns and mysteries. Um, but in essence, um, a man has fallen to his death from a cliff. Hmm. A local detective is on the case, and there might be more to all of it than meets the eye. And it is also kind of a Hitchcockian love story, obsession, love story, and desire, and being with people you shouldn't be with, and uh, forbidden love, and that kind of thing. And um, Park Chan-wook is... Like, it might be, like the best directed movie of the year Mm. his control of style and tone uh he presents cell phones i heard him say that um he's so wary of cell phones for the longest time in movies and in life but then with this movie he decided not only are we not going to be wary we're going to like embrace every single possibility of how they can be shown on screen and he does so it's like and it's such a like intricate a mate just like it's such a, like the best puzzle movie of the year really and like the best mystery best one of the better romance like they don't do romance much anymore <laughs> but it's a really good romance movie and it just goes to show like these korean directors these 
this generation of South Korean directors, him and of course Bong Joon-ho, mm-hmm. they just are working out. Like, they get it. They just get it. They know it feels the, like... their balance between art, film, and entertainments, and their transgressive natures, and their experimenting, and their use of technology. Not in a lazy way, but actually actively trying to figure out how technology can be used and presented in a new cinematic language. Mm-hmm. These guys got it, and this movie is just terrific. It's on movie. That's where I watched it. I missed it a bunch in the theater. I had tickets to, like, don't get me started. It was a wild one. I tried to go see him talk at a screening of this movie like four times. I missed all of them. Oh, man. It's, I feel you. I like, uh, I almost saw this movie in theaters, but I was in, I got stuck in really bad traffic and I was half an hour late and I was like, I can't just go into this movie half an hour late. That would be a disservice to this film. Uh, but, uh, uh, it's such a rich, great fully like encompassing movie experience um it's yeah. my ne- it was my number one for quite a while this year wow and easily could still be um just a few you know i really spent this week instead of rewatching, just kind of reflecting on things and this is where it ended up but this movie is this is a class this is a new classic man this is going to be one that people like continuously rewatch, and um, i look forward to when you see it you telling me what you think, Patrick. Yeah, I can't wait to have seen it and been like, ugh, I should have watched this instead of Benediction. What <laughs> have I done? Yeah, <laughs> although Benediction, pretty good. And maybe I'll put that in my honorable mentions. Uh, <laughs> uh, what uh, the five slot? Uh, number five. This is, uh, I really vibed with this movie. This is such a cool film. Uh, I, you know, it's been a really good year for like animation, it seems like, um, you know, the Turning Red. I feel like that was like the best Pixar movie in the, like, the last decade. A uh, lot of really cool stop motion animation too, like Wendell and Wild. You know, that wasn't like a perfect movie, but it was interesting. Mad God was really cool and interesting. Yeah. Uh, Inuyo, which is like an anime that was like uh, my friend Sean took me to, and that was like a, an incredible experience. Like a lot of these movies, what's cool is like with a lot of the animated films that were released, it really did feel like they were it wasn't like film by committee as I feel like 90% of animation is nowadays. It truly felt like the work of like some singularly weird individual. Good Uh, stuff. Yeah. Bearing their soul. And this is the one animated one stop motion animated film on my list. It's the house directed by uh, Paloma Beza, Nikki Lindroch von Barr, Emma DeSwaif, and Mark James Rolls. I'm probably mispronouncing every single until one of those names. The, until you put the end in there, I thought that was all one person. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I could have been. Uh, some weird uh, Belgian duchess. Uh, but, uh, you know, and it's like a very European, like I think it's like uh, a Spaniard, a Spanish-British person, a swedish person and then two people from like the flemish part of belgium and this uh film was originally going to be a anthology series uh but then i think netflix saw that where what they were making in the cost of it and was like hey you're gonna turn this into an anthology film and we're never gonna (laughs) we're not doing this again and so it's kind of like three short films where the single unifying thing is like the house that all the people um that inhabit these films live in um it's very ethereal and uh surreal 
it doesn't always make sense, but it's just uh, the vibes. I was watching this on a rainy Saturday night, and I was expecting nothing from it. I was kind of like, uh, I just need something to like watch while my brain unwinds. And um, just like the visuals that I've seen in this movie, it kind of reminds me of like Bardo, where like it's just stuff I've never, I've never experienced before, stuff I've never witnessed. Awesome. Uh, it's really beautiful. It's really. Um, my favorite one is the middle story where it's like uh, the guy from Pulp, Jarvis Cocker. He plays a uh, cool. uh, he's like it's like it's like a it's like a rats or whatever. I guess in the future. first it's funny because like the first short film it's like people and then it's like rat people and then it's cat people. But in the, but Jarvis Cocker is like this guy who's trying to like you know renovate this weird house and sell it and he's trying to like you know save as much money as he can so he's doing it himself and. The process uh, kind of drives him insane, and it's uh, a really uh, stressful, relatable <laughs> thing to witness. I just, I don't know. It's just so. Um, it's just so. There's something like there's like all there's like the scene with like all these dancing insects that are driving him crazy. There's a moment where the house because in the in the final one where the house becomes a boat because like in the in the future in the third act movie like the world's like flooded. Like, it's basically about this, like, landlord, but, like, he's, like, a landlord in a world where everything's basically gone, and she keeps expecting money from people, but people can't pay with money because there's no money. Like, it's just, like, it's so, uh, it's grim, but it's also, uh, one of those type of films where, like, in this grim, it's kind of like Drive My Car or whatever, where, like, in amidst the grimness, there's beauty, and you can, like, go on even when everything's fucked. That's kind of like the mm -hmm. the ultimate, the ending of the uh, of the film. I just, I really liked it. I really liked the vibes. Give it a watch. It's on, it's on Netflix, The House. Excellent. I have not seen that one. Um, Ooh, it's good. My number four movie, James Gray's Armageddon Time. Ooh, baby. Uh, made it pretty clear. I think I've brought this up a bunch. There are many episodes of our show. Um, James Gray is my dude. I love all of his movies. He's one of my guys. <laughs> <laughs> and I think this one is just another notch on the belt for him in terms of his kind of... What I love about him is that he presents you... He works within genres and worlds that are very recognizable. But he's also being very critical and kind of showing like the melancholy. Mm-hmm of those worlds so his first three pictures um little odessa the yards and we on the night which form a loose crime trilogy you think you're gonna get like french connection or something like that and they're right. really kind of about like failure and loss you know and then two lovers his romantic movie is about um compromise in a sense mm. And, and, like, loss again. And then, you know, he goes to the Amazon in Lost City of Z. <laughs> and Ad Astra, he goes to space. And yet the themes remain the same of, like, obsession, familial obligation. Familial obligation is a big theme in all of his movies. If you go back to, like, We on the Night, which I always think is, like, seems like his most mainstream movie but it's like to me like his saddest movie because joaquin phoenix is like this like fun loving club owner 
who's got this awesome girlfriend, and even Mendez, he's having a great time. And his father is Robert Duvall, and he's a cop, and his brother's Mark Wahlberg, and he's a cop. And then due to the Russian mob infiltrating Joaquin's club, Joaquin is slowly but surely like forced to make a decision on what side he's on. And the final moment of the movie, he's being inducted into the police. He's taken the police exam. He's become a cop. The exact thing he was never planning on doing. He's shown he's good at it. He's shown he saved the day, not without loss. The movie ends in this wide shot of Joaquin sitting next to Mark Wahlberg, who's got PTSD from getting shot in the face earlier in the movie. And they just go, you know, I love you very much. And they both have, like, dead eyes looking out at the crowd. And you're like, they got... they. He, Joaquin had like he had the life he wanted, this fun-loving like he, he had escaped, but he was drawn back. Or the end of Lost City of Z, where she has to like accept the mystery that her husband, her son, due to their obsession, due to their obligation to like this like have been lost to the woods, the wilderness. Mm-hmm. The end of Ad Astra, Brad Pitt has to accept Tommy Lee Jones is never coming back from space. Nope. And in Armageddon time, we get a similar situation, but it's with James Gray out of his... It's a family drama, but he's... it. It's on... He's... Speaking of, like, kind of being merciless toward yourself, he's not letting anyone off the hook. He's not showing his parents in this, like, rose-colored glasses light. He sees them for who they are. There are moments where they... Of grace, but there are also moments where his dad is attacking him with a belt. Yeah. Um, everything comes with compromise in this movie. Everything, everything is a, in a sense, like my therapist once told me, it's like everyone has blood on their hands. It's just how how much blood you're comfortable with. Right. And that's kind of one of the themes of this movie. Yeah, it is like, yeah, it's a brave fucking, because I love this movie too. It's a great movie and it's in my honorable mentions mm-hmm. uh, for sure. Uh and, you know, uh, as much as I love the Fablemans, uh, there is like a bravery in what James Gray is doing. He really bears it all out in a way that only like, I'll, you know, he's like kind of doing what Allah in a less showy way. He is really kind of showing his, all his warts. Yeah. In his mm-hmm. own way. I mean, all the autobiographical movies this year from like the big dude filmmakers, Alejandro G. Spielberg. James Gray. There's probably more because it seemed like that was kind of the vibe of the year. I think because it was in COVID and everyone thought they were going to die when they wrote yeah. all these scripts. <laughs> yeah, they're like, better get this out. James Gray's dad did pass of COVID. Oh my God. Yeah, during the editing of Armageddon Time, which is very, like, adds a very sad element to me when I think about it. But um, the they all did it in their own way. You know, Spielberg did it in a Spielbergian way. In uh, Aritu did it in his way. And James Gray certainly does it in his way, which is definitely that kind of downbeat, melancholy, lower key. He James Gray doesn't really ever rise behind, beyond like a seven in his screaming in his mm-hmm. movies. Like he's not a showy filmmaker, despite the fact that he's a brilliant filmmaker and he knows where to place a camera. He knows how to move the camera and all these. It's just, he doesn't want to like, he's not a, he's not an indulgent director mm. and i don't see an indulgent as a positive or negative i just uh, just as a descriptor when I it's an that. attribute yeah exactly yeah. 
<laughs> and but it's I I just can't stop thinking about this movie, and I think it's because of the complications of it, and I think it's because of the gray that it lives, lack of a better term, gray that it lives in. It's um, there are no easy answers mm -hmm. in Armageddon time with what he's presenting, and I think again, almost like with Blonde or Bardo or some of the other movies we described, I think in our era, in the era of Twitter and that kind of thing. People are looking for the quickest, easiest answer, so they can be witty, or they can take things down a notch, or they can be contrarian, or they could be rarely praiseful and in love. Mm -hmm. Which I would rather see them like be quick-witted and saying that they're in love rather than in hate. Right? Like when somebody tells me everything, everywhere, all once is one of the five greatest movies ever made, right after they have seen it, mm -hmm. I may not agree, but I love that they feel that way. Yeah. That's cool that they feel that way. That's like it's good that like someone's excited about like an original work. You yeah. know, it's it's a beautiful it's a beautiful is it my favorite original work of the year? Probably not. Uh but uh it's cool that like that flame is still alive and it yeah, needs it's, to, it's about yeah. feeling things and you know, I've watched every James Gray movie multiple times. I will watch Armageddon time multiple times in my mm -hmm. life. He's a constant inspiration. In a lot of ways to me, he's one of my, you know, he's one of my guys. And I think this is one of, he just continues to refine. Oh, um, I keep forgetting it because it's like my favorite of his movies, but um, The Immigrant. Ooh. Um, Jeremy Renner too, right? Jeremy Renner, Joaquin Phoenix again, and um, Marion Cotillard. And <laughs> it's a, it's an excellent, excellent film. And, but his movies are not, they're deeply kind of melancholy without being like, punching the gut depressing mm -hmm. but they're also like he never also gives you like triumph either like, right and because he lives in that kind of like low hum world it can be difficult i think people want to because he plays with genre he does appreciate like a classical style but i don't think he gives he doesn't give you like the godfather he gives you a downbeat like godfather in which like business goes on and that's kind of sad that business goes on yeah like more so than life, life, more, yeah, for better more, or for worse it's, yeah. it's business as usual like he doesn't reach those like shakespearean operatic heights that you kind of expect from some of the genres he works in mm -hmm. and i think that people always feel like a little like oh i'm a little like didn't give me everything but i think like that's because his his movies are like a stew go back to some soup metaphors and you just kind of have to like wait it out and like there's a richness and might not be exciting on first thing but damn are you falling you're damn are you like, like man i gotta have stew again at some point <laughs> yeah it's nourishing stew is nourishing it's nourishing yeah it's yeah. not homework but it's nourishing so armageddon time at four uh what do you nice. got it for oh man i will say uh it was really sad in armageddon time when uh bruce willis wasn't able to make it back to the planet you know <laughs> he had to <laughs> He had to blow up that mater right, you know, it did it for the good of the people. Uh I'm and then Aeros, Aerosmith is in both movies, oddly enough. No. <laughs> Don't wanna close my eyes. Don't wanna go. I miss you, baby. Don't wanna miss a thing. Where that would I guess like and, and when race and class relations are tough. <laughs> Uh, Can you imagine Aerosmith uh, doing a song for Armageddon time. 
<laughs> what did we learn? I don't know. I'm still a little confused. <laughs> I once did coke with Donald Trump's dad. <laughs> it was kind of scary. Donald Trump's other family members are just as creepy. <laughs> Advice from your father is confusing and kind of right, but sort of wrong, too. <laughs> I wish Anthony Hopkins was my grandpa. <laughs> but then again, that's like the brilliant thing about it. He's like, fight for them. Do your thing. Do your thing. But definitely go to this private school. <laughs> you gotta, yeah, you gotta, just cause, hey, just cause, you gotta follow, you gotta butter your bread, buddy. You can't just uh... be a mensch, but definitely don't do it in, if it negatively affects you getting yours within society. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, you know, you gotta be a mensch to yourself before you can be a mensch to anybody else, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Great movie. Great movie. Uh, really? even like lovable grandpa has, has his motives. Edge. He's got an yeah. edge. Yeah, <laughs> it's good. Uh, leaves yeah. young, um, young Paul, the James Gray surrogate, very confused. I think that that's yeah. the finale of the movie. It's just like, gosh, man. You know the be- beautiful thing, though. One of those things. I heard I saw an interview where James Gray was talking with Martin Scorsese, and the first things James Gray calls Martin Scorsese maestro. Mm. The entire interview, he calls him maestro Scorsese, which is a beautiful thing yeah. to do but he um he goes did you know that two months after armageddon time ends my brother and i saw raging bull wow and it changed my life <laughs> like <laughs> uh, put that man, in the movie get, get, give us the hero we deserve marty <laughs> yes <laughs> want to see okay. that pesh okay no, number, number four. four number four uh total banger uh it's the novelist film directed by Hong oh. Sang Su. So good. This is my favorite. Uh, this is my favorite Sang Su movie I've ever seen. Uh, I'm just I'm a Sang Su newbie. Uh, I've only seen what we've basically covered for the podcast plus uh, Walk Up, which was really good as well. Uh, I really want to give that a rewatch at some point because I unfortunately missed the first ten minutes because I not purchased a ticket. Could have been bad. Could have been very good. confusion on who was buying tickets to that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that one comes out this year, listeners. Um, mm. Hopefully in a theater near you. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. I, and I was lucky to see uh, I got to see the novelist film the first time I saw it. I got to see it. Uh, oh my god, what's the name of it? It's like the hall, the land. It's not the Lamy. It's a, Lumiere. Oh, Lumiere, exactly. The Lumiere. Musical. Yeah. musical. Lumiere musical. I got to see it the Lumiere musical. Uh, as is my uh, experience at the Lumiere musical frequently, uh, I was the only person in the theater, and I kind of felt bad for the one guy there who had to do everything. He was the popcorn guy, the ticket guy, you know. I probably probably, really just... probably the projectionist. Yeah, maybe the owner of the theater too. Who knows? <laughs> like he was doing it all. Uh, you know, probably ruined his beautiful nap. Uh, but uh, it's uh, you know this movie. It starts off. You know, it's a little slow in the beginning. It you know it's every bong. bong it's every Hong Sing Su uh, movie, right? You know, it's it's it's. You know, you're not going to it for crazy spectacle. You're not going into this expecting, like, uh, an insane car chase through to uh, hot and spicy soul or whatever. You know, you're, you're, you're here to just watch a couple middle-aged people walk around. 
That's kind of like, or have conversations at a table. Um, there's some great moments, and it's like the type of thing too, where like, you know, you have to calibrate yourself for these kind of movies. Because I remember, like, my big first shock in the movie is there's a sign in the beginning of the movie, and it like falls over, and I was just like, ah, <laughs> like, like this is this is crazy. But um, I think like the moment where this movie clicked for me, and had one of the mo- biggest moments that like truly like, touched me was probably 45 minutes into the film uh, where, just to give a, a a little quick rundown of the plot, uh, novelist Jun Hee, uh, played by uh, Lee Hai Young, uh, visits a bookstore run by a young colleague who's been out of touch. Is he she the then... guy who's in all of Hong's movies, by the way? Uh, it's a she. Oh, it's she. Sorry about that. Yeah, Sorry uh... Lee yeah, Hay you're and right. She was, yeah, she, this is like yeah. a less dude oriented movie than this. Yeah, very yeah. undo. Yeah, very less dude oriented. And uh, and also, uh, she, I think she was in Walk Up too. I can't remember who she portrayed, but she was in his previous one. Uh, so she visits a bookstore run by a young colleague who's been out of touch, and then she takes a walk with a film director and his wife, and then she uh, meets the uh, actress Gil Sue, played by uh, you know Hong's current flame, uh, Kim uh, Min Hee. And he tries to convince her to make a film with her. And, uh, you know, like I said, it takes like a little while for it to cook. But once there's basically a, a moment in the movie where um, the classic Hong Sang-soo thing happens. Uh, Kim and uh, Lee, their characters, they have ramen at a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And they have this conversation about art and what it means to like make art. Like it basically it's essentially about like the novelist's like process and how... Whether or not, you know, has she been, like, productive as of late? What's causing her to not be so productive anymore? And what her character has to say about what it means to be a novelist nowadays. Like, she's kind of, like, struggling with, like... She used to have all these crazy opinions, essentially, but now it, it, she, it it's hard for her to write because she feels like everything she says... Uh, has too much meaning and like it has to mean something and it's almost paralyzing oh. and it's such a I feel that so that much good. in my it's so good like it's, it sounds like Hong Sang Su might feel that too exactly oh dude yeah. he feels and it's like it's such a touching because it's like man like that is like the modern problem with art is that everything is instantly accessible and everyone can interpret it all at once, and you can constantly see how people interpret it. It just really—I yeah. really felt that, and it touched it. It tickled my brain in a, in a way that none of his other films have like tickled it. And it, and it, like it feels so—it's just such a—it was such a real beautiful moment. Uh, and the ending—have you? Were you? Did you get a chance to see this? I've not seen it. I, I'm dying. Oh to see man! It. So I will say that the ending is—I don't want to spoil it because it's like. Uh, this is kind of like this was my Babylon ending. His <laughs> ending in this movie is just crazy and wild, um, and it just—I'm uh, still trying to wrap my head around because when I watched it the first time, I thought it was something totally yeah different, and then the second time watching it, I was like, "Oh, I totally misinterpreted this. This is this is something else." That's such entirely. a good feeling. That's such a yeah. good feeling. Also, another oh. lesson of film, like film criticism and watching you can be wrong the first time around and it's even better when you discover that (laughs) that's the thing is like yeah that's the thing don't give up on a movie just because you didn't like uh 
enjoy it the first time, like, yeah. If you're you still can... thinking about it, that may mean that you need another watch. If you 100 Yeah, 100%. Like, and, yeah, nah, it's just, yeah, it's, it's easily, like, the Hong Sang Soo movie that is, like, connected with me the most. And I awesome. think, yeah, and it just, it was just seeing that. I haven't had, like, such a, it made me have some realizations of what I think about art and how I, and how I interpret what I create and put out in the world. So, like, yeah, for that, like, yeah, easily in the top four spot. Just a treat. I don't have a Hong in my top ten. He was, made, was my honorable mention, but he needs to be spotlighted for putting out, in some way, shape, or form, four movies in 2022. Introduction, In Front of Your Face, The Novelist Film, and Walk Up. We at least all had the opportunity to see those movies in some way. You know, yeah. Walk Up was a festival movie, and uh, but the other three were released... Two are available on Blu-ray. Um, I've seen three out of the four. I saw introduction is in front of your face, and walk up in front of your face was my favorite out of the group. Uh, he's extraordinary. Yeah. You know that. You know we love him. You know he's a, an Academy Academy King. And, he, it's uh, yeah. it's just so cool that like he exists and he's just making. I'm happy you're so into his movies, Patrick. Yeah, I'm really happy too because it's like man, <laughs> and it's like I, I just haven't had someone like really. When it comes to like the artistic process and thinking about your place in the world in that like tapestry, yeah. I've never had someone. I felt like I truly grokked with him. Hell yeah. uh, my number three movie of the year is if this were a best of. Mm-hmm. I do believe this is the best movie of the year, and that mm-hmm. is of course Todd Field's Tar. The ones ahead of it um, involve kind of some emotional turbulence or just pure like <laughs> love <laughs> but um, Tar is the most accomplished full scale work towering Kubrickian work of the year that demands to be reckoned with in mm-hmm. all ways shape and form it's not an easy film it's meant to be a challenge it's meant to be leave you with a lot of questions a lot of unsettled feelings it's an unset it's a deeply unsettling film uh it contains perhaps the most difficult watch scene of the year of course the juilliard shakedown oh man that's a good <laughs> scene though it is yeah. so it's, yeah maybe it's the best maybe the best scene of the year too but um, yeah it's it's rough to sit through but it's like no, it's not the best well, scene of the year the best scene of the year is clearly when mav talks to ice ooh. in top gun maverick but, uh, yeah ooh, spoiler <laughs> alert never mind. Never mind. uh but no the Juilliard scene is like it's a lot and it's a lot to reckon with and it's a lot to see how you feel well, we, we were joking around about me yelling at some millennial about not liking Sam Peckinpah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, how dare you? I was watching Ride the High Country the other day. I was like, fuck you if you don't like this. He's, he's the great. <laughs> you know, I was yeah, like, he's a genius. Myself, this man is a <laughs> difficult genius. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry it's not the gray man. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> It, but because Todd Field plays with sympathy, like he, the entire movie is like this, and he, I think Richard Brody was completely off and thinking this was just a straightforward, like, conservative movie. No, I think very surface, my man. Very, very surface. Uh, yeah. 
I don't think, because I think Todd Field is giving you... The reason it's so uncomfortable is that he doesn't tell you what side you're supposed to be on in that scene. And that makes it hard. And I think what he's trying to portray is that this is a tough conversation. This is not straightforward. Like, what do we do about this kind of thing? The art and the artist and that kind of thing. And then he lets it happen to his lead character. Right. Maybe. <laughs> or maybe this is all the imagination of the red-headed woman from the back of her head. Remember, Ooh. we never see the girl who dies by suicide's face the entire movie. Who is it? Is she a specter haunting Tar? Is it all from her perspective? And this is all a fantasy as she sits in that hall as Tar's credits. Her bizarrely uniform and perfect set of accolades that she has are read off by the New Yorker guy at the beginning oh, of the movie. Why are all of the credits at the beginning of Tar rather than at the end? What happens when Tar follows the elusive cellist into her rat's nest home in Germany and trips and falls and hits her head and we go to black? These are all questions that will haunt me for the rest of my days as I continue to go back to Tar to wonder what was actually happening within it. Anyone who takes it at face value, anyone who takes anything literal in Tar is underestimating it and needs to think a little bit further about this movie. It's, it's I don't have I don't have a I don't have any certain opinions on it. No, like and it's and it's like and it's a hundred percent like it's such a it is a haunted film. Mm-hmm. Like it truly feels there are ghosts like in this movie. Yes, regardless of whatever your interpretation of what those ghosts mean and who they or who they are, it feels like yeah. No, it genuinely feels like yeah. Uh, I think I, I can't remember if I said this or if I read this on Letterbox or something. It feels like a movie, like a. A slasher movie without a slasher. It feels like there is something haunting it. Like there's a unless a you see J- Tar as the slasher. Yeah, a self slasher. She's self-slasher. her own horror. Yeah, yeah, she's her own horror villain. It she's is the like... monster of her own creation, and it yeah. is creation. I mean, the entire thing. It's like so. If the thing about her te- learning from Leonard Bernstein is a lie, what else is a lie in this movie? Oh, the yeah, the the, <laughs> yeah. the one uh, God, I, should I say spoiler? I mean, we'll probably just put spoiler in general. Yeah, break. We talk it. about yeah, yeah, the moment where she goes home oh, and know, she just has incredible. that incredible. It's like her brother Dougie or whatever the fuck, and it's, it's straight just out like, of like a like a Dennis Leary friendship group or something like that. Yeah, exactly. It's like might as well get Tony Danza to play yeah. this guy. <laughs> it is so jarring. Love ass Long Island brother who reveals her name is fucking Linda. Yeah. Oh my god. And it's like, yeah, might as well be John Gabris. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, Gabris would have killed for that role. But um, yeah, yeah, oh, if please. he got it, I would have been so happy for him. Todd Field, <laughs> if you're listening, uh <laughs> Todd, if you make a tar too, put Gabris in there. <laughs> Any and again, wait, we're learning something each round here, Patrick. Don't yeah. take films literally. No. Taking films literally, you're missing half the fun. And yeah. I think people are very literal. In their criticism these days yeah it is like oh man i think like that is the thing like i watched tar so funny 
lady next to me was like, I don't understand any of this. Like she was just very like, <laughs> it was like, all right. This <laughs> very, very funny uh, thing just to blurt out at the end of the movie. Um, it's like for it's me, like that it was the old man I saw walk out of Tree of Life on the dinosaur show. What the hell is going on in this movie? <laughs> I love it when a movie just invokes uh, like chaos and it makes people it drives people a little nuts. I like that. Uh, well, people get very upset when they don't understand and they don't mm. take it as something that's kind of a neat discovery. A lot of people take it as like a slap in the face or that they're being told that they're stupid. Man, and it's you can't. And that, yeah, I don't think that that's usually. Usually, if they're doing that, then that filmmaker is cruel and does not deserve to be praised. And I don't think Todd Field is trying to be cruel by any means. I think he's trying to be elusive. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't come off as like a. Um, it doesn't come off as a uh, movie that is smug. It's not a smug. No. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, I think. It's so funny too because I feel like some people are kind of annoyed that like Tar isn't a real person or something. It's but that's the, how well he creates her. Yes. Yeah, he made Blanchett. The... We should give Kate Blanchett credit oh. for the group. It's a joint create. It's a collaborative create. One of the it's performances. Not the, it's not just on the page. Yeah, it's it's kind of incredible. Uh, yeah. It's a movie. It's funny because like and I love she that she loses the Academy Award for this one, but one for doing the mediocre Tennessee Williams riff for the Woody Allen movie, Blue Jasmine. Oh, yeah. Or the Catherine Hepburn impersonation of the aviator. That's as bad as, like, Denzel not getting it for fucking Malcolm X and getting it for Training Day. Oh, God, so stupid. It is, like, Blue Jasmine, a movie where inexplicably San Francisco is just fucking long. Litter. Another... Litter yeah. with Bobby like, Cannavale's. What, what is Andrew Dice Clay doing here? <laughs> I'm from San Francisco. Oh, that gets back to your thing about speaking of somebody who like no clue what is actually happening within the world. Those late Woody Allen movies, like no <laughs> comprehension whatsoever. They might as well be on Mars. Yeah. Oh, uh, you you don't think Rifkin's festival is a uh, down to earth? Of course. Uh... Makes them so weird. They become interesting again because they're so <laughs> like no one is. Who are these people? Yeah. Who are these people you're imagining? Who is the dastardly Philippe, the director Philippe? <laughs> and it's like the, his last like 10 movies were just like, oh, you have not been outside. Even yeah. before the pandemic, you have not been, you have not left like a two block radius in rich Manhattan in 25 years. Yeah, you, you have two haunts, you have your apartment and your weird jazz club that you sometimes play at, and that's and then, about like, it. two that's... restaurants. Like, yeah. the same two restaurants. Yeah, that, that one restaurant that James Corden got uh, canceled yeah, from. Ban- <laughs> yeah, got his ass banned from. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man, that's so funny. But uh, Tar is a absolute fast, it's like Tough Fields is reaching to try and make a full-scale classic. Mm-hmm. this movie and i think he got there i think this is I, one where this is this is the one out of the year that i think is this decision to leave i think are the kind of to me unequivocal like wow that's like really well crafted wow that's like gonna stick with us wow that one's gonna like inspire in, at least me <laughs> I, I agree i think it has like it definitely has like the best it has the, I think it may have like the second uh, you know there may be some movies that are technically more impressive but in terms of like evoking imagery, the yeah. cinematography in Tar is like 
second to none. It's mm-hmm. just truly it's beautiful. A sli- it's the- a slick movie. Yeah, and it feels like a real... And What's great about a lot of these movies on our list, none of them feel like they were just shot on a fucking, you know, green screen stage. Like, you know, we have one movie that might be on our list that was definitely... Might be, but... coming, might be coming up surely. A little, yeah. bit, a little bit of a fudge there. But yeah. because they were created by madmen, singularly focused madmen, I will give yeah. them... They're who are utilizing green screen... Listen, man, I don't need a streaming service. I got a streaming. The best streaming service in the world is in my head every time I go to bed at night. <laughs> JC, coming soon. What <laughs> oh. an insane. I love this, man. Just an insane thing to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, uh, man, it's yeah, it's just it's cool. And, I, and I'll say I've rented Tar. I'm going to I'm going to give it a second watch. I think like the first time I watched it, I was just a little like it was just a little cold. I yeah, think it's it was like heavy. A, it's a lot to be reckoned with. It's a lot to be reckoned with. Yeah, and it was just like, uh, and the thing too about it is, it ends on a truly ambiguous. Uh, yeah. It is so like you don't know, and so I think part of it is like I need to stew with that more and figure out, and it's gonna need it, and I need a second watch just to kind of like Absolutely. see where I stay when it's one. And that's the thing, though. Yeah, me excited to see it another time too. Yeah, I'm pumped. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I might try to catch it in theaters because it is like good idea. Good idea. Even if yeah, even if it is like um like a long movie and it's it's a fucking treat to watch. Like even yeah. if you're like the, just the visuals alone. Uh, let's move on. Just read that um, Jeremy Renner revealed he broke over thirty bones. Oh my god! In that accident. No, that dude, man. I'm glad he's alive. Good for him. Like, that is that is crazy. Oh that my god, that would have killed most people. I yeah, think. he he is lucky that he was on the uh, Avengers Regiment or whatever. Yeah, whatever he's on. Give me some of that. That movie star serum, serum. Yeah, get, Back to serum. That. <laughs> oh, read that serum. Oh, give man. me that serum, Blade. All right, Blade. How about number three? All right, Blade. I'm also. <laughs> I'm also Chris Christopherson. Hey. Uh, hey. I got a top to the year list, and I thought, you know, Tar was really compelling. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite movie was Ted 2. I know that came out four years ago, but it I took me it. six months to learn how to say the word in a sheeran. In a sheeran. <laughs> in a sheeran. Um, oh my God. I love, uh, I love, uh, I'm already forgetting his, uh, what's his name again? Uh, Whistler. Whistler. I kept wanting to say Mixer, and I was like, that's not, he's not Mixer. <laughs> okay, number number three. It's a, this movie's a banger. It's, you know, maybe it should be higher. I don't know. But um, and I, I think it's on your list. We'll see. It's, it's uh, a certain JC's Avatar, The Way of Water. Let's, uh, let's jump ahead to my number two spot. Yes. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, baby. So you have it at number three. My number two spot is where I have cheated. Number two movie my number two movies of the year. Avatar the Way of Water, Top Gun Maverick, and RRR all tied ah! to the number two spot. <laughs> ah! Ah! So much. I love it. I love uh, it. Movies are back. Sometimes you just need to be entertained, folks. And the auteurist madman, James Cameron, 
Tom Cruise and SS Rajamuli uh, brought it to us in spades with these movies this year. Um, we've talked a lot about Avatar. We both love it. We've both seen it twice. Mm-hmm. You know, just a, a tremendous experience. It's and, the first, yeah, the first time watching Avatar, it was like comparable to like the the feeling I got when I saw the Grand Canyon for the first time. <laughs> Which yeah. is just like, you're just overwhelmed and you kind of don't know what to do. So you get down on your knees and you're just, you just, you, you take it all in. That's like the, that's the feeling that it evoked when I saw that in theaters. It's just because it gets crazy. It gets so overwhelming. There's so much happening. It's, How about it's, this? It makes you okay, feel okay to be like a childish nerd. Yeah. The other stuff, you feel a little embarrassed by that. But this one, it's like, we will text each other Avatar 3 updates. And feel okay about that. <laughs> yes, like, have you heard about the lava avatars? Yeah, that are oh my the... god. <laughs> Give it to me now. Yes! Steven Lang! Redemption arc! Let's go! Let's go! It rules. Um, Top Gun Maverick. Um, another a movie I've seen three times. And I will probably see more. Um, a movie that, um, spoiler alert, is on the docket to be covered by the Academy Academy and then some point in 2023 <laughs> later on in our run because you know we've been covering a lot of Top Gun Maverick adjacent historical adjacent films oh yeah say so it's I yeah the nostalgia was worked work for me Top Gun yep. Maverick I you know we talked a lot about my VHS days my family's household and that kind of thing and Top Gun being a key part of it Tom Cruise, Val Kilmer being big parts of all of that and kind of it, it you know and as we head into the top of it it also makes you feel very like old to watch these guys age especially if we watched Top Gun for our show last year uh, spoiler to you Patrick we're watching Top, Top Gun will be on the movie night docket for next week too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gotta watch uh, it. My mom's gonna be here. She loves Top Gun. We're gonna watch it on that big wall. Anyway, <laughs> it to see them aging, to see them, Tom Cruise actively fight Father Time too, but also seeing the ravages of Father Time on Val Kilmer. Wow. Yeah. Uh, there's a weight to it. There's a real way to it, but it also, it's like, it's so, like, deeply satisfying, and I know it's manipulative, folks. You don't need to write us at the, you don't need to write us at the Academy Academy podcast at gmail.com, or on Twitter at the Acad Acad. You don't need to. I know it's manipulative. I know it's kind of, I know the pro-military, rah-rah nature of it. Who cares? Honkshu. Like, we know. We (laughs) get it. We Guess what? We can see that and, like, discern... We know it's good from gonna, bad. It's not gonna change. It's not gonna like make me like go pro. Like, uh, I don't need a movie to make make help me make up my mind on where I stand with military actions. Yeah, I I am a human being. Don hasn't joining Blackwater anytime soon, folks. He can. But do I relax. care about? But if I do it, the manipulations of them saying for two hours, Maverick, somebody's not coming home. Maverick, you're getting too old for this. Maverick, this might be your last mission. And then to me to be on the edge of my damn seat thinking he's going to die? Yeah, like I bought a hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. Well, this movie did the impossible. It made you like a Miles Teller movie. 
That's true. Yeah, going back to another conversation about <laughs> the impossible. Maybe kind of like, maybe kind of like him. <laughs> it's just like I was like, damn, like this has I to did, have something. I, I, I like and I like him as Rooster. I like all the young people they brought in. Oh, Glenn um, Powell is so good in it. And I should note, uh, I Glenn Powell. I love, I love the lady Monica. Barbaro, oh, Monica Barber. She's like a UCB a person too. I think phenomenal movie called The Cathedral that just missed on my list mm. that I recommend to anyone to listen has a Brian James Darcy performance <sighs> for the ages. In it. God, Check that it guy's such a good underrated game. actor. Really good actor. Also played Shrek and Shrek the musical. So, oh, oh, bring it all back home, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> and then the third part of the grouping of just crowd-pleasing movies is RRR, the sensation out of India. Um, you may not have blood pumping through your veins or oxygen running through your lungs if you do not react to this movie. The pure jaw-dropping childlike joy. <laughs> like, it's just, it's so, yeah, it's so fun. It's like so, the dances are great, the action. The it's, Natu it's... Natu sequence lives up to everything you've heard about it. It is like jaw dropping, actually. <laughs> well, it's was... it's like yeah, it's like a joyful like it feels like the type of cinema that uh, it's it does truly feel like at times Rajamouli is like it'd be cool if like a guy was on some guy's shoulders during a fight sequence. How do we make this happen? Or let's I, have a bunch. Or it's like I know it's not real, but what if he like just picked up the motorcycle and threw it at some guys? <laughs> yeah. It's so, like, that's like he's letting his inner child direct, and that's incredible. That rules. Mm. There should be, like, because eh. guess what? Like, his, your inner child does that I have a good time. His vision is so infinite, and his, like, the joy on screen, and the joy, the two guys. You love the mm. two guys. And, it, yeah. Is anything happening that's, like, surprising story-wise? No. No, it's, You've all. seen it a million times. But, does he do it with a flourish and a vigor for life unmatched yes. almost? Yes, he does. Just <laughs> such a joyful, like the panache that he, yes. his, his spin on it. And, and look, here's the thing too, man. Like something we can all agree on. We all hate the British. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and we can all settle on something. Colonialism and the British. Thumbs down. Now, Thumbs down. down. <laughs> England, you're the stinker of the week. Stinker. Yeah, like, uh, RRR didn't do very well in BAFTA nominations. No shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like no shit. Oh, oh brother, get out of here. <laughs> With your your weird your You can't dance. You not a, oh um also um Dudes Rock. This is about dudes having oh, friendships man. with other dudes is yep. what this movie's about. It <laughs> Jed and I were like She's like, why do they, why, they they have to come together? I'm like, these are the two best dudes. Yeah. Of course they have to come together and become best friends. They're the two, yeah, they're the two coolest guys. Like, yeah. cool attracts cool. Like, yeah, it's not... like, game recognizes game. These are the cool yeah. two, these are the coolest dudes. And it's not cool attracts fool. Like, yeah. Absolutely not. Don't, don't bat below your weight class when the friendship level. <laughs> that's, see, that's the moral of the movie. If you see someone you think isn't as cool as you, avoid them at all avoid costs. Them. But if you see somebody who's as cool, maybe even a smidge cooler. That then that's your dude. <laughs> oh yeah, feel free to throw a motorcycle for him. <laughs> throw you ride a motorcycle. They'll ride a horse. 
Are you both good at everything? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Is that horse inexplicably going the same speed as the motorcycle? Why not? Why on earth does this British guy think he can keep up with you at dancing? He can't. He's not as Come cool on. as you are. No. It was the only movie this year. I told him before, like, sometimes I'll watch something and make Jen, like, sit down and watch it. We started our RRR is very long, by the way. Like, Avatar is very long. Yeah, all these are long boys. All these are long. All these long boys. I went to bed with about an hour to go on RRR with plans on watching it the next day. Jen stayed up and finished it. And then the next day when I started it back up for the final hour, she's like, I'm sitting down with you. I'm going to watch it again. Like it was that <laughs> that that good of a time. I gotta see it on that big screen. That's the goal for this year. Please Beyond Fest. Please American Cinematheque. Patrick and begging you. Do it again so we can go. We wanna uh, see we wanna see the Natu Natu party. We wanna be there for it all. We're gonna hire a sitter. Jen wants to go too. <laughs> I wanna yes, I, make it happen. And then we can watch Ega, which is like yeah. even more insane. Oh man, let's do God it. God bless yeah. you. God bless you, our gang. Yeah, uh, you you made something very special. Avatar, Top Gun, Maverick, and RRR. They just joyous, like thrilling, fun experiences. You you completely lose yourself in them. Go see them. You've seen. You probably, if you're listening, you probably saw Avatar and Top Gun in the theater. I would guess. Um, it's a good time. They're a good time. They all get my number two spot. So, Patrick, what do you have in number two? Uh, number two is a total... Uh, it's like the return of the... A real return of the king situation. Just another incredible director just firing on all cylinders, uh, creating, uh, you know, art that will be, you know, once again, you know, remembered time immemorium. It's uh, Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans. Higher. We'll do it now. Uh, Damn. The, Fable- the Fablemans is my number one movie of the year. Um, yes. How do we want to talk about it? <laughs> I don't know. It's it's really good. <laughs> um, I would say go first. it simultaneously thrilled me and moved me and made me think about every aspect of my life, which left me incredibly melancholy. And I felt down actually Whoa. for the last week. It had that level of an effect on me. And I think that that makes it is a powerful movie. Um, I Yeah, for me, it was like, I think it's like, it demonstrates like the radical empathy of cinema, kind of like, and demonstrates like how we're all flawed. You know, we're all human and we make mistakes and we're not perfect but you can move on it's like another it's drive my car it's like one of those yeah. things where like we yeah, can, you can you can and that's like the best art is you can kind of bring yourself out of the wreckage and he doesn't continue he doesn't let anyone off the hook no but he also the immense love on and it's so it's so because it like let me see it made me think a lot about time. And the only other movie I can actually compare it to is Richard Linklater's Boyhood. It's the only mm-hmm. other movie I that I feel the same way about. Mm-hmm. And what makes me think about time is how fast time goes. And you're capturing these moments. But it's also a 76-year-old man looking back on people who are gone. Yet we are watching them in real time. 
in this really the movie's dedicated to them but at the same time he creates his mom and dad and seth rogan's character in this such this real like vivid way that i feel i'm there i feel i'm with them but then i'm also thinking about like oh this is a memory of 50 years ago too yeah well and it's and it's just it's a lot for me to take in because it makes me think about aging it makes me think about my own life it's such a it makes me feel like i and we talked a little bit about this on your text it's like the mania of what it takes to follow your dream yeah whatever that, that dream may be because that's the thing everyone i feel like a lot of people probably went into this movie i i'm a victim of this. i did this too i went into this thinking this is going to be some hokey bullshit about how he fell in love with movies it's not going to be like super you know nourishing cinematically perhaps but it's it's about a guy like inflicted yeah with a mania with a passion for movie a desire to make movies it's almost that he's willing to sacrifice he's willing to and it becomes so encompassing like one of the most telling things during the big fight between his parents that finally goes down spielberg cuts that shot of the mirror with sammy holding the camera he's seeing it now through the lens of a camera he's not even there that's how he disassociates through sequences yeah. in which he cannot have full control and control is the theme too of the that's... movie there are things yeah. working that i don't think and that's why he had to hire tony kushner one of the great writers angels in america's tony yeah go right with him because tony kushner could read it he heard the stories that spielberg was telling and kushner understood the themes that were at play oh, within man. the film and it's there and is it's no not... coincidence whatsoever that the profound movie is the man who shot liberty valance the whole what is the line the famous line the uh print the legend yeah that's what they're doing he's printing the legend Ugh. because he's trying to get there but it isn't pretty enough it isn't calm enough he wants to pay tribute to his parents even he can't get out of his own way in his own autobiographical thing he can't do what James Gray does. No, he can't. Some well, would say that's a flaw, but some would say it's an artist. But and just one... that this is how he feels. He can't condemn his parents. He loves them. He's 76 years old. They're dead. Well, and you see <laughs> that, like, yeah, it's cra- what's interesting is, like, he shows that side of him, too. And the way he, like, the... For me, like, the scene that kind of touched me the most, almost, was the, the bully. Yeah, the scene where like they show the movie he makes, like that's him trying to control his like control like, his bullying, but also yeah. prove to the bully he has substance. Look what I can do for you. Look what I can show you. Look how I can show you. Yeah, I can make you a hero. And the fact that like yeah, and the fact that like it's not like seen as like a comeuppance on the bully or like it's a real moment where like. And Spielberg, I think, in the moment he see it himself. The bully is so like, wait, what? That's no, that's not how I see me, though. But yeah. he can't say who he is because he can't show weakness to the. No, it's phenomenal. It's so and, yeah, but it also makes you like. I don't like look back a great mm-hmm. deal. I'm not. I'm certainly not one of these. The best years of my life were high school or college or whatever. Like. Mm-hmm. It's all accumulation, is how I see it. 
you get better. You, in theory, hopefully get better as you age because you've learned a few things and you're trying to refine yourself. Mm-hmm. Obviously, some people don't do this. It was the first movie that made me ever look back on the and say to myself, oh, to be Sammy Fableman right now. Oof, yeah. And it hurt. That's the melancholy, I guess. Like, <laughs> I wanted... And I love... This is getting very personal, but I love every moment of my life that I have right now. I love it. Oh, yeah. I have a great... I feel very blessed and very lucky yeah. to be in this place. Obviously, yeah. To be 17 with a camera in hand with no obligations and only your dream. And I had the same dream. The exact same dream. The exact same mania. But to see it through brings up feelings of regret. You know, because it's harder at 40 to follow that mania. I want to. I plan on making a film this year. Hopefully two. Um, But yeah, the way it ended with him like walking off into the studio a lot. Oh, man. And then I watched Spielberg's Columbo. And then I watched Duel. <laughs> and he's like 25 when he made those. And it's only Ugh. six years after the end of The Fableman's. Ugh. <laughs> it did, no, I, I don't feel it's, envy. It's, I no, just it's, feel be- like, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I feel like that's so great. And people, like, obviously, like, I would your economic circumstances, your social circumstances, all these things play into how well you can follow mm-hmm. these dreams that I think are in all of us in some way, shape, or form. That's why I don't, I think filmmaking is just his. I don't think this is a movie about why filmmaking is the best dream. I think this is just an individual dream. It's a dream, yes. But I think like everyone has different things that they, different muses in their soul that they want to follow. And it does just make you wish for nobody, very few people get to follow it. Certainly very few people get to follow it as far as Steven Spielberg has mm. gotten to follow it. He's, But he'd probably also be the first person to tell you he's lucky, too. Yeah. But it is like we should have more faith in these feelings. If they are healthy things like filmmaking or painting or making music or building a bridge or whatever. Yeah. If these whatever, are healthy yeah. things... Like, the older I get, like, the more pride you do take in, like, building and doing things with your hands and discovering things. Mm-hmm. And if that was encouraged more, I don't know. I felt every single time his dad said, every time he said, this hobby of yours, like, it made me ache. Ooh, yeah. It made it's... me ache. And I could see why you get pissed off. And, like, no, I'm going to show you. Tar is better tar is deeper mm-hmm. um armageddon time might be more honest about this kind of feelings in this world but no movie made me feel more than the fablemans and i think that's important that is like that's where i want to go as a film fan as a creative person and everything in between like you need to feel it. It can't just be an exercise. It can't just be an attitude. It can't just be a narrative that you're designing for yourself. You need to feel it. And I felt it all when I watched The Fablemans. And I think, uh, sorry. <laughs> sorry yeah, if that was no. rambling. <laughs> no, that's good. No, you make every point you made was good. We're keeping it all in. It's like, uh, 
I think like the thing too is like every um I think like something that I love about the Fablements too is how generous the movie is is in that like characters that would be totally two dimensional and most any other similar biopic get to feel really fleshed out and lived in like the I bully think... has a little arc the the feels, um... sis- little sister has an arc yeah feels totally and completely alive yeah I mean, and i think that's the other melancholy it's like when you realize like oh wait this is the past this is gone mm-hmm. everything that they are all the older people in this movie yeah. they're gone yeah that judd hirsch that the archetype of that judd hirsch character forever gone from time yeah no one mm-hmm. like that alive now at least in america and i think like you know Paul Thomas Anderson told Steven Spielberg, you go check it out. It's a, folks, if you're interested in this movie, there's a conversation on the DGA podcast between PTA and Steven Spielberg about the Fablements. And PTA sums it up really nice. He goes, like everyone else, I grew up watching your movies. And I got mm-hmm. to know you. I read biographies of you, just like I did. Just like pretty much anyone who has any interest in American film did. But then he was like, seeing the story through your eyes, seeing this movie, and then looking over and watching it with my kids, and then my kids saying afterwards, I'm going to go take the phone outside. We're going to make stuff. Hopefully, other people have felt that way. Like, Yeah. It's a movie That'd about nice. the power of making stuff in the face against, you know, and like, but it's more than that. It's more about like loving your family despite it all it's about yeah about growing up the trials and tribulations of it all the weirdness of it like you know the high school scenes the first thing jen and i said like oh how awful is high school yeah oh, <laughs> yeah just like and he captured that feeling like because you write it because like we were talking about like the memory how it might not be your story but the memory brings up your own memories Oh, yeah, we've all been the odd man out in high school. It's like hell. It sucks. Well, mm-hmm. also, the thing is, in high school, you think that's just the world. You know what I mean? You mm-hmm. don't realize, you know, you don't realize how in, like, literally two or three years afterwards, none of it's going to matter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But there also is this, like, glorious, like, rose-colored glasses memory of it. Like, oh, that was nice when that was just the world. Well, it was just me and these 400 people, and that was the entire world. Yeah, if your and high school is the size of four hundred or whatever, however size your high school was, right, like, right, right? There is kind of and like, of course, people had worse experiences, and I don't, you know, g- good riddance if you got out of there and your life is better. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know. It just brought up a lot of like, you know, get back to our themes of memory and nostalgia and feeling and that kind of thing more than any other movie did this year for me and. Combined with that, the skills on display, the storytelling, the performances, um, the music, it had it all. I mean, it's, like, the, it's the best Spielberg's been since, I don't know, like Munich, maybe? I don't know. It even means think. a lot. It means a lot yeah. to him. And if this is, you know, and he said he wrote it because he thought the world was ending, because he wrote it during the pandemic. And he wow. was like, I have to get this written down. This is. You know, and I don't know what he does after this. I don't know what he does after this. I don't know what James Gray does after this. I don't know what 
Alejandro and Naritu does after this. Yeah, a lot of these felt... Noah Baumbach does after this. I'm still wondering <laughs> what Quentin Tarantino is going to do. That was 2019. <laughs> it does really feel like we're at the end of like a cycle of some kind. I think, well, I think we are, all, most of those people I mentioned are aging white men. Yep. And I think we might be at the end of that cycle for better or worse. Yep. And that's the way it goes. But there's there's always hope. I, I hope that people just like, you know, a movie like After Sun. I hope we get a million more Charlotte Wells movies. Hell yeah. 100%. Like, didn't make my top 10, but I thought it was a tremendous film. I think Jordan Peele is finding a new gear. He's going for big and scope and film like Nope. My, like He's throwing it all on the table, though. And Nope was an honorable mention for me. Hell barely. Yeah. Barely made it. Barely missed. Uh, let's hear your number one. I think I know what it is, so I'm excited yeah. to uh, hear about this. Oh, man. This is my favorite one. And it's funny because I feel like this movie fell off. It's another movie kind of like Kenny that fell off a bunch mm. of people's radars. But it's You've been, been... rapping this all year long. I, know I, what it, I think I can know what it is. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's Robert Eggers is the North Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie is such a fucking... Bl- it, it's the best time I had watching. I'm including... And here, look, maybe if Avatar, my Avatar viewing experience wasn't so fucking weird initially, maybe <laughs> I, that would be a better viewing. But this movie, seeing this movie in a packed theater at the Alamo Drafthouse, I think part of why I loved it so much was this is the first time... This was the first time since the pandemic started where I watched a movie that was a movie that had just come out in theaters yeah. in theaters. And it felt like movies were finally back and people were like, you know, because I think it was like the first time that the Alamo it's reflective, had like, like how blown away I was when I went and saw Licorice Pizza in that Westwood theater on like opening night. And everybody was there and jazzed for it and stuff yes! like that. Easy. It's hard to it's really hard to like separate that vibe from like the quality of the movie exactly it's so infectious it's such a great like the guy next to me kept like muttering oh shit like every couple of minutes because it was just this movie is such and i think it like part of why i love it so much it's perfect number one you know technically it's a masterpiece perfectly shot everything looks beautiful i love this this the the sets the design the aesthetic it just it really vibes with me um it's it's just like I love being kind of transported yeah. into a different world. I love like movies like Apocalypto where you're kind of like plopped into this foreign place with no explanation and the movie does not like throw you a bone. It doesn't try to kind of give you an idea. Like you have to sort of find out the morality of this world on your own. The way that like the hierarchy works, the rules. And it's such a fucking pleasure. You know, the action scenes are feel so alive. Like, the moment where Skarsgård... I didn't see the trailer of this movie before it came out. So that whole sequence where Skarsgård... The, the spear comes out, mm-hmm. and Skarsgård catches it, and he throws it back. Ah! That is so fucking good. It's just... <laughs> I... It's like... And I think, like, the thing, too, is, like... You know, it's a basic plot. I get that. It's very, like... It's Hamlet or whatever, right? Yeah. Or it's the story that Hamlet was based on. But as we've said before, like, you know, who it's about gives execution, a shit? man? It's my yes. personal execution. Yeah, and I think the thing is, um, Skarsgård's journey in this film, his whole, you know, how he starts off as the son of Ethan Hawke's king. His father gets murdered. He grows away. He has to avenge him. He becomes this like berserker 
Viking that will just go into fucking battle, you know, go into battle just wearing a bear skin. You know, he dancing at some insane fire pit with the world's creepiest old bearded guy. Like, I don't know. Like, I just, I like being just immersed in something totally alien <laughs> and the, the, the horror and pleasure I feel simultaneously from that. My one complaint. Not enough Ethan Hawke and Willem Dafoe barking like dogs at each other. Oh, man. If we had, like, another sequence with Willem Dafoe so yeah. good in his little cameo. <laughs> yeah. I love him as the jester. Uh, I think, I, like... I mean, you're, you're very in the lead, too. It ends with a nude fight to the death in front of a volcano. <laughs> this is important stuff. <laughs> that's the thing! It's, like, everything by the end of it. It's That's what I love about it. It's by the end of it. They're both just totally destroyed. This guy wants revenge. <laughs> this guy wants to... And, on one hand, he wins. The drive he gets his little drive by drive my car moment where in the sense that like his uh bloodline will continue, although we really don't know. You know, Anna Taylor Joy, the weird witch lover that, that he meets in the that he meets uh when he pretends to be a slave to go to the yeah. uh the uh the, the 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 farm of the king that is now that's the thing too, is his character it just shows you like Everything these people are trying for, it's such a, a rough oh, game they're playing. The no worst, one's going to succeed. The worst, the worst world to yeah. ever live in. It's like, you're, yeah, like the second you succeed, you're getting dysentery. Yeah, <laughs> or or you're getting ousted by some bigger fish. You know, the king yeah. of Norway and Klaus Bang. He's so good in this too, Klaus yeah, Bang. What a great actor. Because like the thing too is his character is just, what you realize in this movie is they're not like, it's not good or evil. It's like they're doing what they can to survive. That's literally yeah. like he wants to, because like if Glass Bang didn't off this dude, he probably would have gotten got. And what now was he... the um, line in, oh, it's Mike Python and the Holy Grail. The part where King Arthur like trots by the people like just slapping mud together. Yeah. <laughs> and they, go, and they go, who's that? He must be a king. Why do you say that? Well, he hasn't got shit all over him. <laughs> like... That's the difference. That's yeah, the difference. that's literally yeah. Except this world, the king would have a little shit on. Yeah, just a little spear. It's so. Maybe that's this world. It's like you're literally just crawling through shit and hoping yeah. for a little bit better piece of the pie. Exactly, and I think like um, also Nicole Kidman is so. Yeah. This is like the best she's been not since the AMC intro. No, has she been this the sequence where uh, the the big reveal happens <laughs> and Alexander. <laughs> Shit you could smell. <laughs> oh yeah, Al and Alexander Skarsgård. I love his like. Oh no! Oh no! Oh, oh no! Oh no! It's oh, just. God. Uh, oh man. Yeah, he's such a good actor. This movie, I was yeah. never like super like. I've liked Skarsgård and stuff before. Like I really liked Skarsgård and Generation Kill, like the uh, David Simon miniseries about the Iraq War. He was always he's really good in that, but he's never like stood out to me for whatever reason and then this movie like he just adds so much like yeah. life and i just feel for his character so much and it's really hard and it's it's difficult because like it's not like his character is super fleshed out it's not like his character uh gets like a lot of eloquent soliloquies to to evoke his emotions but like just like the facial expressions and the darkness he can like uh he can bring on his face like the the true like anger like you really get that this guy 
is just like so fucking mad and he'll do whatever it takes. I don't know. I love it. This is an actor, though, who was born to play a Viking. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Like, I mean, this is this is the role he's been. This is what he's been waiting to play. He was. Yeah, he was designed in a lab. Yeah. Yeah. This is. (laughs) I would trade five years off my life to look like him. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Easily. I'd give a decade. Shit. 100%. Like, if I was like, okay, I'm going to live to 67, but I get to look like Ellen. I'm six foot four and shredded. Yeah. I I have like a fucking eight pack. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Total. Just, oh, man. Yeah. Good, uh, Good year in movies, dude. Yeah, really good. Good year I, movies. Yeah. Underrated year. Uh, let's go through these tens again. Quick honorable mentions to get out of here. Uh, my top ten. Number ten, The Eternal Daughter. Number nine, Return to Soul. Number eight, Blonde. Number seven, Bardo, False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths. <laughs> Six, Triangle of Sadness. Five, Decision to Leave. Four, Armageddon Time. Three, Tar. Two, Avatar, The Way of Water, Top Gun Maverick, and RRR. And number one, The Fablemans. Ooh, okay. Number 10, Bardo, False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths. Number 9, Joyland. Number 8, Triangle of Sadness. Number 7, Kimmy. Number 6, 13 Lives. Number 5, The House. Number 4, The Novelist's Film. Number 3, Avatar The Way of Water. Number 2, The Fablemans. And number 1, The Northman. Excellent. My honorable mentions outside the ones I've already mentioned. The documentary Senior is an absolute must on Netflix mm. about Robert Downey Sr. and Robert Downey Jr. I loved it. I cried. I was very moved by the entire experience. David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future is an absolute must. We've talked about uh, we talked about that movie a lot. We'll, we'll probably keep talking about it. I, um, it's not his final movie, but it does have the grim old man nature of a final movie, without mm. question. Also gave us The Breakfaster Yes. We'll never forget. <laughs> Folks, we love the breakfaster, we don't love we? The breakfaster. And then I have to give a big ups to another two movie champion this year, Claire Denis, with both sides of the blade and Stars at Noon. I loved both of these movies. Stars at Noon in particular was a haunting and strange movie that I think is on Hulu now. Worth checking out. You got a couple honorable mentions, Patrick? Oh, for sure. Uh, I want to give a shout out to uh, my number 11 spot, uh, Antoine Fuqua's Emancipation. Uh, this is like my, uh, I feel like this is my uh, controversial pick for a good movie. It's its really its really grim. It's really dark. Uh, obviously not for everyone. I get that like, it's not like the, the film, it's not like the type of movie that you always want to see. You know what I mean? It's not like the subject matter is not for everybody and that's 100% yeah. fine. But I think it like understands like how grim that time in America was and it just really demonstrates that with a uh, a scope uh, that we do not see in movies that are not superhero film, films that often nowadays. So I think it's worth a view. Uh, I really liked uh, let's see, To Leslie, the uh, Andrea, uh, it's directed by Michael Morris, uh, starring Andrea Risborough. Uh, one of the best performances of the year. It's a very, you know, quiet, small film. Uh, also, uh, Mark Marin. Uh, plays like a character that's not a Mark Marin character, and he does he's a great. Good... He's, he's really great. good. It's so cool to see him like act, like you know what I mean, not just be a guy. Um, another another movie I saw last night that I almost put on so my Joker. Top... Who are you guys? <laughs> Joker, who are you guys? Come Joker. on, <laughs> come on, Joke Joker. What's your Lord Michael story? 
Joker, you were up for weekend update too? <laughs> yes, yes. I lost okay, dude. Sorry, David sorry. I got, I got no. I got distracted. No worries. Uh, I, and then I'll just I'll shout out two more films. Um, Funny Pages is really really good. Great small movie. Uh, very gross. Very weird. Uh, Matthew Mayer in that movie gives one of the best performances of the year. That should be up for an Oscar. It won't be. That's fine. And then uh, another movie I just saw last night is Andrew. Bajalski's There There. Mm. This is a weird, cool movie. It's hard to, like, explain. It's basically, like, it almost feels like he was doing, like, you know, he took, like, people's, like, casting, like, videos or something like that, and then, like, string, edited them together to turn it into it. Because, like, none of the, because the thing is, is this was filmed during the pandemic, and none of the actors are in the same room with each other. Mm even though they're in the same room. And it's not always, like, a great movie, so to speak, but it's really fascinating as just, like, a... You're watching, just watching it and seeing how these people uh, act when they clearly are not, like... They don't have, like, people to bounce off of. It's, it's, it's really fascinating. It's mm. just a cool... I've never seen a movie like this before, so I think it's worth checking out. Check I'm out there, there. Always, always curious what Andrew Pujalski's up to. Um, yeah. I also want to note, real quick, uh, giving Oscar love. Hopefully he got nominated this morning. The guy who plays the coach in 13 Lives should be nominated for Best Supporting Actor. I'm saying it now. Oh, that guy's so good. See, I love him, and I love the guy who plays, like, the chief farmer. Like oh, the guy yeah. with like the who little ponytail. The bamboo um, shoots to um, uh, drain the water. Yeah. Yeah. I think I have his name. Oh, God. I'm going to pronounce it. So, <laughs> our favorite movie of the year was 13 Lives. Of course it was. It's a banger. That movie fucking rules. There's so many good, like, yeah. Oh, God. And here's the thing, man. These Oscars, they're going to be dumb as hell. You can yeah. already tell. They, they Don't worry about them. Follow Take your a heart. Hike. Follow, your, Follow heart. your heart. Yeah. Okay. If, if you're wondering. If you hated every one of these movies that we just <laughs> talked about, and you're really, really wondering where everything, everywhere, all at once was, check in with us at the Academy Academy Podcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at the Academy. Yeah, we can, don't... we'll tell you off the air. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll tell you out. Yeah, and like, look, they, hey, you love that movie? Hey, okay. God you're, bless you. God bless you. You. you went to the good. movies. You did it. You did it. You passed around one. Good. You passed around one of. Um, to become a true movie head. Yeah, you're you're getting there. You got your you got your movie head card. Your next first, week. Your first... Next week on the show, we're going to be watching the higher the as we mentioned last week the BMW sponsored series of short films, <laughs> including one by Tony Scott and some by some other great filmmakers, all of which are on YouTube right now. Looking forward to that episode. And then the week after that, we dive back in the grit, the grime, the war, the health yeah. war. <laughs> from 2001 Black Hawk Down Ridley Scott territory which I believe is on HBO Max right now oh man Ooh. what a great, great what a great cast in that one oh great yeah, oh yeah. great some of, the, some of some great dudes not a lot of ladies some great dudes in Black Hawk Down oh my god yeah just dudes just du- hey just dudes being guys just dudes being guys <laughs> like us on this episode alright um let us know we want to know about your lists. If you got a, if you have a top ten list, share yeah. it with us. Um, we also have our uh, top thirties are on Letterboxd. We will um, 
remove the privacy settings so you could check out either Patrick or I's feeds. We're very active on Letterboxd. We're more active on Letterboxd than probably any other social media site. So it, it's I, the one fun check one. Check us out. We're on there. All <laughs> yeah. right. Wow. Awesome time. We will see you all next week on the Academy Academy. And much like a certain Russian capitalist, <laughs> we sell shit. Bye-bye. <laughs>